Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And then there was only four teams remaining in the NRL 2021 season. Boxhead, the Manly Seagulls, Trouts, the Rundown Roosters, and Parramatta and Penrith play another Battle of the West Classic, an absolute barn burner of a game. I think the only way to describe that was absorbing. Yeah, we, I think we nailed it in our previews. We sort of thought that the Seagulls, if anyone was going to do it comfortably, it would be the Seagulls, and then the other one would be probably a closer game. I, I certainly didn't predict that it was going to be that low scoring and that dour. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a classic. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy since full-time. Man, it's gone uh, a little bit crazy in regards to the referees and some of the calls, which I think a lot of them are correct. Like, Parramatta were done it in a in a few regards, but I felt as though they had ample opportunity to win the game, irrespective of you know some of the calls that didn't go their way. Penrith probably bombed a few, but um, that's that's a real character building win for the Panthers, and you know they knew they were probably going to have to face Melbourne and beat Melbourne to, to win it. Now they've got that opportunity, and uh, the other game's an interesting one as well because it's. I, I, I really like. I'm going to have to break it down for a preview, but that one uh, I'm going to struggle to tip. That one, I think, that's a, a really, really hard game to work out. And a really, really hard game to tip. I think. Well, I think in particular, off the top of my head, same deal. The only sample we've got of those two was round one this year, which is just pointless to look at. Um, you know, they played when Manly were in their worst little patch at the start where they lost those first three or four games and Souths are obviously a different side since then as well they've had some changes in their team the makeup of their forward pack the makeup of their back line no Luttrell uh, I guess the only thing off the top of my head I could take out of it was the right hand side for Manly which has been exposed a little bit the last few weeks is the side that Souths love to attack on their left but they're, ob- they're obviously I think like, you've, got to, you've got to think advantage Souths advantage Melbourne because they've had the rest yeah but you know, once that whistle goes, I think, you know, that advantage goes away and, you know, the, the field decides what happens. So if, if Penrith can find their best form, they can definitely beat Melbourne. But, you know, if they produce performances like they had the last two weeks, they'll, they'll be cannon fodder, I would think. Mm. And then, yeah, the other game, I, I don't know. I think I know. the other thing as well, and I had a couple of Panther friends message me, saying, oh, you know, you, you got the inside running and this and that, and we've got these injuries and rah, rah, rah. My response to that was simply, well, you should have won week one. Yeah, you earned like, you earn that. Like, you're you complaining. Earn. You can't complain to me that, oh, you've got it easy or you should win 100%. Like, if Penrith win week three, they've certainly earned their place in the grand final. And the reason for that being, when you finish top four, that gives you that window to get yourself the week off. And they had Souths. Everyone wrote Souths off, us included, thinking that that was going to be... Penrith, and then during the week, you know, he gets involved with Wayne Bennett. They lose Edwards. They lost Layota, and then they just couldn't maintain focus in the game. They panicked. They blew some opportunities. They tried to score for every single set, and they set themselves a long way around the mountain. And now this week, as a result of that, they got 
kick out under a cloud. I know Kenny plays a less important part, but he's under a cloud and was feeling that utility role that May fills for him. We saw Nathan at one point there holding his shoulder, so you can guarantee he'll be seeing some traffic. Um, you know, their attack was still a bit off, a bit too sideways, not quite as fluid as it was at the start of the year. And you, you invite those things when you don't take advantage of the first week, which unfortunately for Penrith, um, you know, they, they got exactly what we said was potentially going to happen in a battle of the West. They got an absolute dogfight, and Parramatta certainly didn't let them have it easily. No. So um, they've got, obviously, seven-day turnaround. I, I, I really struggled on Sunday, though, like not having footy. The, the Q Cup game was outstanding. Um, Sunny Coast and Tweed, God, I enjoyed that game. That was ah, you awesome about those that um, watched it. Uh, <clears throat> not Sunny Coast, sorry, North Devils. Yeah, it was North Devils. Tweed. Um, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed watching that. That was unreal. But, yeah, it's coming to that reality. Like, we've got three games left. Mm. Um, they, they announced yesterday that also the two prelims for Q Cup are going to be the leading games for Grand Final, which I think is unreal. Good. It means Grand Final today we're going to have three really top-class games, which is going to be outstanding. Are they going to be playing um, at Suncorp? The Queensland Cup, yeah, they're going to play more at Suncorp. And uh, I think the uh, the Q Cup Grand Final will be at Suncorp the week after. So uh, it's I guess a- it extends footy season for another week, but... Um, yeah, it's, it was hard yesterday. Yeah, just sort of going, bloody hell, what do, what do we do? What do we watch? Well, We're both NFL crazy, so I've been, I had Red Zone on before we um, started recording here. And for anyone that's NFL nuts, you can get the you can get the NFL Game Pass for they call it freemium, which is like free, but it's it's they call it freemium as though it's like premium but you can get red zone and you can just you can chromecast it and just start it from 3am so if you're not too fussed on um, who you watch like you just want to watch the NFL um, you can get onto Game Pass get the get the free um, subscription and just watch NFL red zone which essentially just means that you get flips and flops between teams that are in attacking areas you see the touchdowns and field goals and all the big plays so I, I used to subscribe to it um, more because I, I wanted to watch the Falcons and you know the Falcons have been really really good the last sort of four or five years but I think we're heading into a period now where we stink a little bit so I'm not going to pay to to sort of watch them get their asses handed to them each week so um, yeah just I know we've got a lot of people that watch NFL so if you're not already onto that it's worthwhile because even on Fox like you only get the games that they dish you um, so if you want to see more, get on that and you get Red Zone for free and you just Chromecast it onto your TV. So um, that's what I'll be doing once we finish. That's what I was doing before we were, were here. I don't know, what else have you been up to? Work. I've just done 13 days in a row, so... Super. <laughs> um, lots of... I've done a bit of, uh, bit of tile cleaning out the back. I'm going to redo the deck, I reckon, this weekend. Been sanded down some outdoor furniture and re... Repainting it or re-oiling it, whatever you want to call it. Just all the all the little bibs and bobs you can do at home. But yeah, we got uh, we were in an LJF concern, man. But now we've been we're allowed to go and see five people outside now, so that's good. If you're vaxxed, so we can we can have a little bit of a catch up. Yeah, my wife gets her second today, so you're fully vaxxed. I'm fully vaxxed. The the five eight will get her. 
circuit today. So there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, mate. We can go down to Cadden's Oval and kick the uh, kick the seating around. Watch me tear a hamstring. Yeah, good. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I hope everyone's good. Hope you enjoyed the footy. Friday, yeah, Friday disappointed me. I, I wanted, just wanted two close games uh, as a neutral, but you know you sort of expected that. The Roosters had run their race. I was going to say overachieved to get there. I sat there with our old man. As you know, you run our confidence pool. For anyone who doesn't know, confidence pool tipping is you tip every game every week, but you've got to value them eight points down to one. And then in finals, you assign us nine to one for all nine games, and you can pick your own value. So Dad's sitting there showing me his points and saying, I've got the most left, and I've got this chance to go on a run. So, you know, he's not really big on the Manly thing because obviously the Roosters have been very resilient and whatnot. And <laughs> he's not a massive no, he just he was sitting there with me and I'm I'm telling him that must be where I get it from. He's not gonna take my advice because I'm fucking eliminated, but I'm telling him I'm like I'm serious. I said they've done their dash, like the poor buggers, they've had an awesome season. So they almost lost last week. I'm like the amount of guys that are out there that are busted like a Jared and you know, Morris has come back from an injury and got a bad neck like this it, they've just I said they're just fodder. I'm sorry, but it's gonna be bad. And I said, Who'd you pick? He goes, I've got nine on the Panthers. I said, Well it fucked a lot of people last week, you're pretty confident. Um, and he's like, ah, they'll bash him. I'm like, uh, I'd be a little bit more worried. I said, you're about to fall in the same trap I think everyone did the week before, under eight in Parramatta. <laughs> and he's like, nah, Manly will get a tough game. And I've showed him my bet when I backed Turbo for a double and a few other things. And before we know it, it's, you know, 18 nil, 24-6. So I was like, oh, I've still got five. I said, oh, I would have went harder. So we're watching the Penrith game. He's very quiet. <laughs> he's very quiet. Because if that... For that. So. If, if that nine points went, it was his big point, and it would have cost him. But they got the job done, luckily. Oh, we might have to uh, might have to look at doing a trivia night or a trivia sort of thing for the show via Zoom. Might have to look into that. Yes, just one night before the season finishes, we'll organise one for things. Definitely a possibility. Um, so. But before we jump in and do a review of those two games, and obviously season review for the Roosters and the Eels, I've just had a look from what you said this week. So those two Q Cup games, I'm assuming they're going to be shown again, probably on KO. Oh, so are they on Sunday? They've got a Saturday and a Sunday. So Saturday, 2 o'clock. Is, oh, so is, that, is that at Suncorp, okay? No, neither of, them are, neither of them at Suncorp. So this week, it's at Tugan. They've got the Tweed Seagulls up against the Redcliffe Dolphins, 6th versus 4th. Uh, and then Sunday at Peasy Park on the Gold Coast is the Burley Bears up against the South Logan Magpies. What you said is true the week after. They've got 1.15 at Suncorp, which is when Manly will play first. Uh, and then 3.45 will be North's Devils. So... Um, and the grand final at what, 7 or whatever it is? That's the, both Sunday and then, yeah, grand final, a couple of hours in between, obviously, to fix up the ground and do what they need to do. And then the grand final for the Queensland Cup is actually at Redcliffe. It's not at Suncorp. Redcliffe, there So they were advertising yesterday to buy tickets. So Morton Daly Stadium, Sunday, 4 o'clock the week after. That should be, again, Fox, KO. Uh, I think Channel 9, Queensland, get those games, but New South Wales, you yeah, don't get do. them. they do, yeah. So, um... Yeah, there's one more game the week after for people to sink their teeth into. Yeah, it's good because I've had a little bit to do with Rowan Smith. Like, sort of bumped past with him on a few occasions, and um, we emailed a little bit last year, just chatting footy and 
Um, I was doing a little bit of the real movement stuff that he's involved with, like coach mentoring and, and things like that, doing a bit of coach education. So, no, it's, he, he's just, he's like his dad. Like, he's pretty intelligent, pretty articulate. He's just got a different way on, different spin on footy. And they play a different style, the, the Norse Devils. So, it was, yeah, it was really cool to watch. And, I, you know, I hope they win it for him. Um, I'm on a premise that they lost two games all year, so... I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, I'm pulling, I'm pulling for the North Devils. There were some hand, handy players who came back because of the COVID bubble. I looked at Wynnum yesterday. Wynnum got back TC Rabadi, Selwyn Cobbo, that David Mead. They got a pretty handy. Um, yeah, well, that, that was the thing, hey, like with Brisbane moving so many up and down, yet the Queensland Cup's so strong because there's a lot of guys that, you know, played a handful of games or up and down at different stages. So, yeah, that, that comp stacked me. Well, I have. We, we were talking yesterday. I know. There are a lot of New South Wales Cup boys and Ron Nassi Cup boys that once the lockdown hit here, you know, they obviously jetted off home if they're from Queensland. And a lot of those boys have actually relinked up to finish the year, you know, whether whether they stay there long term or not. But just to get some footy in, they sort of went home and, and linked up as well. So, yeah, that, that comps chockers, man. Yeah, I, I didn't really see the Norse game, but I did hear that it was good. But I watched the first one because um, a couple of ex-teammates played. So Sam Salima has been long-term at Burley. They've been really successful um, for a long period of time now. And Jeff Lynch, another one off the bench. And then on their flip side, Luke Bateman, obviously quit last year during COVID, left Canberra, went back to Wynnum. So that they're through to week two. And um, Norse Devils, you only mentioned, I only saw yesterday. I hadn't seen him in a long time. Jack Ahern, now playing halfback he was a very very good fullback surprised he didn't get you know much opportunity he's been up there for a long time and played really really well so um, there was a few guys yeah, running around isn't it funny how you just you watch some guys go into first grade and they really really struggle but when you throw them back into reserve grade they look just highly competent so, he's one of those guys who just never got an opportunity but it surprised me because he's been real no, I, wasn't, I wasn't talking about him specifically nah. but um, it was a lot of those players you know you think bloody hell look we do have good depth in our game, mm. um, and I was watching. I watched a fair bit of the Super League over the weekend as well. And you just you just look at some of the players that are in the Super League that you know have gone over there obviously for more opportunity or more money. Like I, I, I really don't have a concern with this new franchise coming in, particularly if clubs can diversify their recruitment and really do their homework. Like there's there's NRL quality players running around in both Queensland New South Wales Cup and in the Super League mm. so you've just got to you've, you've got to be you know really agile in terms of where you get your players from and you've just got to do your homework in regards to your recruitment yeah 100% agree with that. and again I think situations like that just also depends on the coach when you talk about guys coming in or struggling or the environment they come into not every situation unfortunately is created equal <laughs> Yeah, um, and we've talked about that a few times more recently. I guess even with halves who get kicked out of clubs or punted way too early, then they end up with somebody like a Robinson or a Blake Green at Melbourne and get that second chance. And you can see why yeah. they were Australian schoolboys or highly touted, and they just weren't invested enough time in them. Well, I was watching my Leeds Rhinos run around like Rich Martin. Look, he's he's a more than capable NRL player. Like he's he's going really really well over there in the Super League. Mm. Uh, you know, look, he, he could easily start in the NRL, or at think, least be a solid bench player in the NRL. Well, I think that's that's the other thing we probably 
I'm not, not underestimate, but some people it gets to a point where they don't want to be up and down or on the bench. They want to play. Yeah, you know, I understand that. And I fully understand that. Because the prime example of that, this week, Joey Lussick's heading to St. Helens for a three-year deal, which I thought's great for St. Helens. Um, he's already been there. He played at Salford. He played in the grand final. His little sample at the back end of the year for Parramatta was outstanding. But I sat there on the weekend thinking, I know he's injured, but if I'm Parramatta... He may be my backup nine, and he may not play every week, but I would have paid 250 300 possibly to have a good backup hooker. It's critical that you have someone on your, on your books, but he's now gone. And then even... the value of that on the weekend. Well, even... Sam Stone, we, we highlighted it the week before. I had huge concerns over Sam Stone at nine and the service that he delivered. And it, it took, you know, the following week for that to shine through, just in some crucial situations where, you know, either pass wasn't on the mark or... You know, whatever it was, because he's not—he's not a he's not a hooker. week to week out now hooker. Yeah, like it, you cannot undervalue those key positions and the impact they have on your team, particularly in close games. Then mm. I just saw that and thought, well, even for other clubs, though, like what are they doing? Like, no offense to your mob, but you know, I'm sitting there going, Lussick or the Bulldogs. There's clubs that may have two hookers that are okay at the moment, but it's there's not enough. If you see any sort of quality in a position like that, I'm, I'm not saying you go crazy and, and pay massive overs but surely someone could have used somebody like Lussick on you know 250 300 and offered him an opportunity I don't know what the St Helens deal is worth apparently it's really good money and if that's the case well he, he probably wouldn't have stayed but I'm just surprised that he wasn't looked at by a few clubs before he signed elsewhere yeah um, and again now he's gone I agree mate it's a three year deal and it's one of those ones maybe he did but maybe the difference in the money was just too much he was like, oh, well isn't right. I think I saw Roby was playing one more year, or is he retiring this year? I'm not too sure. I haven't followed it that closely, mate. But um, I watched uh, two games over the weekend. Mm, that was my other thought. I thought they said Roby was going around one more year, so I thought if they're buying him, Castle Warrington, Steve Price is he's giving up the goose. I don't know whether he's coming back. No, he's coming back. He signed Sorry. for the Sharks like a month ago. Yeah, okay, to be the assistant with Fitzgibbon. So Fitzgibbon's are going to be him, Hannah, and there was one other. I think there was another. English. Is it Richard Agar from? I heard, Leeds? I heard about that, but I don't know if that's happening or not. Yeah, I think it is because Agar's leaving Leeds. Um, okay, yeah. So Daryl Clark, who's been, um, who's been at the uh, at Cass, is now going to to Warrington to be the head coach. He's been, he's a gun as well. Hmm. But, all right, off our little, sorry. off our tangent, let's get into it. Uh, let's review the first game. Doesn't need a whole lot of review. In all honesty, Manly up against the Roosters, 42-6. to six. It was finally too much. Um, and I, I don't think there's a lot of surprise. They did exactly what we would have expected. You have a guy like Marshke who hadn't played in probably two months or so after getting a lot of football early in the year with that injury crisis. They channeled him in the middle. He, he was holding up pretty well, but, you know, very early on, they made their intentions clear. They had to get extra numbers in. There was dead Marines around to play the ball, which created space on the edges. They particularly wanted to go at Hutchison and Kieran, like we talked about in the first try. Surprise, surprise, after rolling a few times, exactly where it came from. Uh, they channeled from the middle, got wide there. Tom got the outside of Hutchison, which got Kieran uh, a bit interested and scored and the floodgates just sort of went from there. You could see that Manly, who, like we said the week before, unlike a Penrith, who then had another hard game, um, you know, they were just blown off the park early from Melbourne and sort of scooted through that one without burning too much energy because the game was all but gone. But they certainly brought energy and infectious aggression very early on and they were very, very keen. And 
um, you know, it. Yeah, it's, and the past is stuck early, whereas the week before they didn't. You know? Yeah, and I think, I think that really helps Manly. Look, I feel as though a lot of, on what Manly are going to do this weekend will depend on how well they start and how clean they are in regards to the errors and the early completion rate. Like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really think completion rates. Like, Dennis talks about completion rates all the time, but you know what's really, really important is the completion rates around, you know, how you start and also how you finish and begin, you know, the, the first half and the second half. I think they're the real crucial periods for Manly because they build momentum and confidence and when they start well, they will finish halves well. I feel as though they, they, they get a lot of momentum and they, they play on the back of that a little bit. Hmm. I think the big question, we've had it before, they just need to love the tough stuff a little more. Like when when things are going their way and they've got momentum, they've got extra possession, they're attacking, they're great. But like in the Melbourne game, if you don't want to cycle, if you don't want to do any sort of yardage and back and forth, like you can't just attack all the time. It doesn't work that way. You have to have periods where you knuckle down a little bit and hold the ball or don't shift. Like If they're going to do that and it's been proven against those better sides, you will lose. Um, but they need, And again, they're going to get a test this weekend. South certainly showed that you know, when we had questions over them that do they have that defensive resolve? Do they have that intent? Well, against Penrith, they showed they can flick the switch and go to a final style of football. Um, yeah, and you can see them building that. Like, I know, and I probably defended South during the year and saying that, look, it doesn't matter how they're defending now. What matters is how they defend in the big games. And you just, Bennett's just got a, a history of doing that. But I also think... But building sides and building their confidence and building their... You know, resilience defensively as the season goes on. But even more so, they went to that mode. I think they realised they needed to get even further into that headspace once they lost Latrell. Once Latrell went, you've seen a lot of those guys step up, like we talked about. You know, Nichols has been great all year, but he went to another level. Tom's been huge. Arrow, Sewer, a lot of those guys who he'd sort of had in and out. Like when it mattered last week and Reynolds' kicking game, they went more to exactly that final style of game and just absorb and be patient and when they got their few opportunities they took them um, and for Manly like they've towed up everyone in front of them but when you look at all those games and yes some of them were early in the year the Roosters first game the Souths first game they're all in that first four rounds but they still haven't beat one of these top sides and you, you could draw a lot into that if you want to I'm not going to but the week before was a good opportunity much like the first time against Melbourne um, but same deal in that Melbourne game the first time it's like oh we saw some chinks in the armour etc etc but they didn't get it done they still lost by 10 they still made critical errors because they want to play that football and they played them minus Nelson minus Felice minus Finucane like they played them last week closer to full strength Um, and again in that style of game they copped a battering they just if they knuckle down they've got the forward pack they've certainly got the forward pack they've got the halves and they've got Tommy Trebojevic, but it needs to be a more team-oriented focus in these harder games to get through those more difficult periods, and it can't always be about attack. Yeah. And if they can do that, they've certainly got, yeah. as oh, we know. Well, their attack changed slightly on the weekend as well. They were like they were going, still going to the post and then attacking with the split halves, but there were times there where, particularly when they landed on the, the their right, they were shifting all the way back, like, Cherry Evans would link up with Foran on the left and then they'd shift all the way back to that left-hand side, which I don't know whether it was specific to what they wanted to do against the Roosters or whether they wanted to pull the rope and see if they could get them on the long edge. But, yeah, it was just one of those things. And then, you know, they 
they went away from that and then started to play like the little short pass where, you know, where Foran scored, where Trevojevic was at the back of it and Jake Trevojevic, instead of hitting Foran, hit um, Tom on, on that little short pass. So yeah, I think that... there, was some, there was some really nice variations with their attack this weekend as well. Mm. And that one, again, come back to channeling at Marshke, who, again, defended solidly and made his tackles, but they certainly ran a lot around him and a lot of traffic and... In that case, they got him when uh, Tom tucked him behind, like you're talking about, and later on they found him again. I think it was Crichton was sort of sweating a little bit on Marty Tapao when they shifted from the sideline to the centre and he tipped it short to Dylan Walker and Crichton sort of had his eyes ball-watching, not worrying about the man. There, there was multiple sort of things there. And yeah, I thought Tupanua didn't have his best game, neither did Crichton. Like their, their edge defence was... Really, really poor. Like even the one where Cherry Evans scored and Tupanua came flying out of the scrum and just gave up his inside shoulder. Uh, they all, they were all terrible. There was like three guys that have a chase. Yeah, but it's his inside shoulder. Oh, I'm not he, knocking that. I'm just can't saying. Come out of the scrum there on an angle with your hips turned towards the sideline. You just can't do it. No. And you know, on that short pass, he's just bit thinking that you know it was Foran's ball and yeah, just some really, really fundamental things that. They, they just didn't get right. And Crichton missed two inside shoulders, you know, in the second half. So mm. we're going to get to that. But, and um, I think, again, that's all going to come back to... And you can get this at times. When you're missing players and you don't have a lot of confidence in what's around you in a big game, you overcompensate or you just do things you, you normally wouldn't do. And I think, it, like we said, it finally... Yeah, re- I don't think there's an excuse for it, though. Like, I, I really think Robinson would have been happy to concede tries on the wing, but not, not tries like that. No, I'm not defending that side of it. I'm just saying, like, they've hit that point where... You yeah, could, I agree. I know, I know what you You could yeah. see early on, they were after Marshke, they were after Hutchison, Kieran. Like, I think those few guys tried to solve some things on their own, which they fundamentally wouldn't. Um, and it's just it's led to some very poor errors, like just some real simple things. But at the end of the day, on top of that, you could see it in their game. They had a lot of errors as well. You yeah, kinda... I, yeah. I, I still think, like you said, there's some real concern. Defense, um, like you highlighted off the top, like Tedesco got around there a couple of times, got around Harper, and looked dangerous. They, they sort of came up with errors and never really nailed anything down that side, but they still caused a lot of issues there. Yeah, there'd be enough on video for him to show. Hutchison engaged a few times and carried a man, or got sort of through, and you got no doubt. Like I said last week, Souths obviously need to be a little bit more crisp now without the threat of Latrell and Cody as runners, but they did well enough on their shapes with Taff sweeping around the back, and obviously they had Sora on that side of the field who can run a nice line, probably not as dangerous as, say, a Kalal Matungi, but no doubt they'll be looking to get some long side shifts um, out to that edge and get some football and still try and test them, and in particular, if Saab, who, again, and, um, and DCE, who can get disconnected, that there's going to be opportunities there still for Cody to run the football or to try and test out the outside and get Johnston those opportunities which you know he can take if they creep in field. Yeah, I thought actually the connection between Harper and Saab was quite good. Like their decisions were pretty consistent. When um, Harper went in, sort of Saab was was following him in. Whereas the week before it was they were disconnected. I think you nailed it there. Like the, the issue is going to be um, having uh, is it a locker tower on that edge and um, Cherry Evans just making sure that their decisions are, are early their decisions are, you know, within the system and hopefully 
you know, for Manly's sake, that they can get some inside pressure from their middles, mm. which is just going to come back to their forward pack, winning that middle battle and controlling the play the ball speed. Also, out of this game, again, I know they've got the root, like, again, I'm not comparing Roosters and Storm at this point in time because they're a bit beaten up, but a bit more impressed with Manly this week in what they did in the middle. Um, you know, Tapio, I think, has been really good this back end, but even then, there are other players, you know, I think Kepi, when he did his little bit, Jake, a bit better, like, you know, he ball played a little bit in this game. I don't think that's going to be as effective moving forward, but Dylan Walker's roll off the bench, he's uh, been outstanding in this back half of the year and what he's done there and just offering a bit of a point of difference. He comes on, he offers real good leg speed, he's obviously got the pass to threat, so when they channel through the middle there and have extra guys just playing short and pushing, um, he was super effective, especially. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think this one, it's hard to take much from it other than they did the job they needed to do. They got through injury-free. They took their players off at the back end of the game. And, again, we need to see those things we talked about against better sides, and they're going to get one this week in South, who certainly showed up against Penrith that it's not all the glitz and glamour that we saw through the year. They've knuckled down. They've flipped into finals mode. They're willing to defend their line. They're going to scramble. They're going to work hard from the inside. They're going to get their play one-two. They're going to have good aggressive line speed, and they're not going to give anything for free and kick well and, and do that sort of game we talked about, those things that they didn't do against Melbourne. So it, it's pretty straightforward. If, if they can change those few things this week and keep that right edge tight, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what they can do with their attack. And if they can, again, change the focal point from not being Tommy all the time, obviously inserting himself heavily in this game. But Cherry Evans had an involvement. Um, they obviously got more out of their forwards. They got that good impact between Jake and Dylan, that's that's what needs to happen. It can't all be about Tom. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but yeah, moving on. Roosters, Teddy, always good. I think Tupo, solid night as always. Yardage, Radley had some moments. Jared, busted. But yeah, tough end to the year, but a hell of an achievement considering the situation they've been in. Yeah, I think Hutchinson was good again as well. Yeah, there's a lot of positive to take out of there. And it's a bit of a changing of the guard year for the Roosters. So mm. a big off-season because they've got a lot of young guys that are going to you know, play their first full season in first grade next year. You know, namely, um, namely Walker and Suwali who will you know, come in and be expected to you know, play starting minutes and, and play week-to-week in our own next year and live up to the hype, I guess, that has been lumped on them so yeah changing of the guard and you know some of those senior guys who have had so much success go out some of these young guys with super talent potential come in and it'll be just interesting whether they can pick up that baton and keep the Roosters right up there as a you know genuine premiership threat like they are every year Mm -hmm. and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we do our review after we look at this next game but the Panthers and the Eels 8-6 no Toto in the lead into this one. Another late change, which had me a little bit worried. And uh, Naden came in, obviously much more effective in yards than what they had with Staines last week. And uh, I thought he did he did his job. He had one or two moments there where he tried to push a pass or two, or he drifted sideways at one point on their their own try line. But this game, my God, this was an awesome game of football to watch. And again, this is one a bit like one of my favourite games of all time. I think it was 2013 week one, Roosters Manly. That 6-4 game, like, you can't tell me that, you know, there's not games where there's good defence. There was a million try saves and and plenty of attack thrown, but the defence, the intent, the contact, and this one just went in in waves. Like, Penrith had periods there where they were at 
Parramatta, and Parramatta just refused to give up on their line. There was tri-savers, like the one that Dylan Brown pulled off on Cleary when Coruscant got through multiple times. They shifted to an edge, and Parramatta scrambled from the inside. They held up Coruscant late in the second half. They held up Pungai. They diffused some really ugly kicks and some situations there, and then Parramatta did the exact same thing. There was periods where they got three or four sets and strangled Penrith and just tried to come up with points and the Panthers just would not relent. So on both sides defensively. Make up the Penrith bench for a minute. The whole moving Martin in and kick out to the bench. No, don't start me again. Mitch Kenny and it's frustrating the shit out of me. I told you last week that it's to me he's fucking outsmarting himself. Like and then kick out also, like I said before, you watch him, he warms into things nicely generally when he starts. He's still got you know, a moment or a brain snap. But I think this role in particular puts a focus in his head that he needs to make an impact. And I wrote down some notes here. So he comes on, he runs into Dylan, you know, at the back there, almost causes a try-scoring situation. Next one, he catches that awesome kick, an awesome slips catch on Moses trying to chip him behind. Then he throws it out his ass inside 25, play one. Luckily, someone's there to get it. They shift to him on an edge to try and get him to mark up on Penasini or a half. He tries to tip it on play two, throws it on the ground. Um, and then after that, runs half-hearted, gets jacked up by Penasini again. Um, you know, just... Yeah, but even just like Kenny... To me, Mitch Kenny doesn't get on the field unless Coruscant's injured. I just unless don't... Coruscant, you just don't pick you know, him. Needs, needs a rest. Like, they, they throw Kenny on the field with Coruscant and you're playing essentially with two guys, two undersized nines. Yeah, and you play one as middle. And even still, if, like, you're gonna... if you think that Melbourne aren't just going to zone in on that, and just and we know that Melbourne's strength is, you know, they're going to probably have three big boppers on the bench, and they're just going to attack Penrith's middle. They they really need to tighten that up. And you know, for me, I think Capewell's been a little bit off his game as well. Like he's been quiet. Both the edges. I think the majority yeah. of the, the majority of the forward pack besides Yoda me is well under. Even Fish on the weekend, I didn't think he's been as good. After the time off, I thought he would have come back really invigorated and really fired up. But I, I thought Campbell Gillard got stuck into fish in particular, and a few of those guys didn't. Uh, yeah. Overall, man to man. I wouldn't have Kenny on the bench um, unless you're just going to put him there to cover Coruscant. But I think you can play May, he can cover Coruscant and give you a little bit more. Versatility. Well, they may they may not have the option for either this week because May's obviously been under a cloud with his knee, and now Kenny looks like he got a bad ankle injury or foot injury from that stomp. So, yeah. if that's the case, I mean, bring it, just bring a fucking middle in there. They need another middle this week. Well, I wrote down the same thing I said last week here. So, if there's no May and there's no Kenny and Kickow's not right to go, Martin can finally just start straight up on an edge. That's fine. But my bench, I would carry Pungai, Lainu. I don't know why Tago hasn't been in from the start. Tago gives you versatility, much like what they've got in their squad with a Capewell, where he can not only play as a centre, because he's come through that way, but he plays as a back row. But as a middle, he's physical enough and he's proved that he can just come on and defend and run and, and be impactful. And then you carry Sorensen. I don't have any of this bullshit. I need a utility or a nine just in case. Like, if they get in that situation... You do what Parramatta sort of did to cover for Stone on the weekend. I know it's not ideal, but Dylan Brown sort of passed play one, two out of yardage. Like your halves don't exactly do a lot out of yardage at times. I'm not saying you want to be negative and not jump into shape if not possible, but they did a lot of things on the weekend to cover up for Stone in some of those situations um, in terms of what they do. So I, 
I think, yeah, and especially against Melbourne. When you look at the way that Parramatta played Penrith, like, they, they honed in on that. They played Madison as a middle, essentially. Well, they channeled. Getting going through the middle there and, and attacking that Penrith weakness, perceived weakness, anyway. Well, we saw both sides of Coruscant on the weekend. He defended well, but they ran certainly plenty at him to try and open him up in the middle and get a roll on, which they did at times, and got him to tighten up, but on the flip side of that, we saw Coruscant do damage on the other side of the ball, probing, and he got his nose through once or twice and almost scored. So the whole Kenny role, like if he's literally there and you're not taking Coruscant off all as an extra middle, I just don't fucking understand it. Yeah, I think Parramatta made one error in my opinion in that they played properly off the bench and not in that back row role, which he was so good at all year, I think. That was an error. Well, I think that one comes down to coach and player because he basically was doing that because Arthur wanted him to. He doesn't want to be a back row. I don't, I don't understand why he doesn't want to be a back row because the mobility, the power, the football, like his whole skill set there, he's a nightmare. And I know he's just as effective in the middle. Like he still made 150 in 30 minutes and, you know, he generates play the ball speed wherever he is. He's only on the field for 30 minutes. He's... Like, he's one of your best players. Like, he has to play 80. I'm not disagreeing with that. But that also comes to squad makeup for them. They've got this situation now where they... Does that make them more potent on the edge? Does that make them, you know... Does that improve their ability to score points? Of course it does. It does, because it gets... That was what they were relying on heavily earlier in the year. Um, But I look at it now and I go, well, they've got to figure that out because they used him... They've used Murata, they've used Lane, they've used Madison. Like, they've really rotated those guys and they've used Summers and Middle. They've got yeah, plenty. And then Nia Corey started there on the weekend. I thought Nia Corey did a really good job, to be honest. Yeah, he did. Oh, I don't have a problem with that. But I just, yeah, it's, it's another head scratcher, man. But they've changed that a lot. And the other thing that I didn't understand why it wasn't changed earlier, and we said this a few weeks ago, to me, one of the biggest changes Parramatta made, and it showed again, particularly defensively, where they've had issues on the weekend. Flipping their halves and then introducing Penasini fixed a lot of problems. Like Dylan Brown, when he swapped with Moses, and I'm saying it was for the kicking game, I don't buy that. I think they were trying to get him to the edge that was perceived to be more dangerous attacking-wise, which didn't work out. Um, Dylan Brown really compensated and tightened up that edge for them when he was defending on the other side of the field. But when he went back to the left, he's a really underrated defender. He helped Wanga Blake a hell of a lot. Um, and then on the flip side, you've got Penasini coming in, who's not only really, really good on the attacking side of the ball, but proved defensively to be outstanding. Like, Ferguson and Wanga Blake were yelling at each other at times during the year, and it's part of the reason Ferguson got dropped. But Penasini really tightened things up there, worked well with him. He defended Moses really, really well. And Murata was on that side, as we saw earlier in the year when he played center, so they tightened up in both regards on their edges, which were two critical spots uh, that needed to be fixed. So I, I thought that's something that was a real positive uh, on the Parramatta side of things in terms of their edges. Yeah, I agree. He, uh, him, I think Hayes Dunster as well, like he's improved out of sight. Mm. So they're, they're going to be such a really good combination for Parramatta moving forward. They're young, you know, they're modern. They're both very strong physically. Uh, yeah, it's exciting for, for Parramatta to have two, you know, local juniors coming through that are going to be long-term first graders if they... You know, re-sign them and keep coaching them. It's yeah, that's that's fruits of development. That's that's really really positive for for the Eels. And they're both um, well, they're both outstanding on the weekend. And Pettersson, yeah, he's, he's just improved every week. But 
for Hayes, what his yardage work was so impressive on the weekend, and you know, if he keep developing like that, he's going to be a um, you know long term first grader because you know, physically, obviously, he had to put on some weight, and he's got good footwork, and he's tall, and but yeah, his his yardage work and his carry, and you know, his ability to get down and up was you know unreal, and that's setting up for the future. Mm. We'll explore a little bit more of uh, their future in terms of contracts and positions because there's a lot to talk about in that regard, but more about the game. Um, it was certainly a defensive battle and there were some crunch moments that people talked about, but I've got some things here similar to you. We're talking about that pass, for, uh, sorry, the tackle from Brown on Cleary. Like, what about the pass from Coruscant? Like, if he hits Cleary in the chest, he scores. Oh, it was a horrendous pass, but yeah. Yeah. Brown's effort and... That and but that's that's also like if you rewind that play and go right back to the start, that's the Penrith middle blowing the ruck up, getting down and up, playing the ball, and letting Coruscant out. Like that's going to be the key this weekend against Melbourne. You have to win the middle of the field. If Penrith want to try and avoid the middle of the field, they're going to get hammered. They need to embrace it. They need to try and win that middle third of the field. Yeah, I'm completely agreeing with you. Um, this one, though, I guess. Just both sides so, so good defensively in particular in repeat sets, like absorbed pressure two, three sets at a time, four sets at a time in a few occasions and defended really well. I thought both halves kicked really well. Um, I heard a few people say afterwards they thought Moses didn't kick well. Like Moses, I think, got two or three dropouts. I thought some of the long kicks off the back foot were quite good. I, you know, I, 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 I can't be too critical. I think Nathan on some of the longer kicks probably wasn't as effective but again overall I thought he kicked pretty well he didn't get as many bombs at Ferguson as I thought he would do and he, he got a win at that one point there where Naden blew the try when Burton threw it to him but um, similar deal in, in close he came up with a couple of good kicks to force some some dropouts so I thought both the sevens did their job uh, in that regard but yeah there were some critical periods of time like I said kick out on his side he had a lot of negatives in that short space before he went off and got injured. And that That's probably going to be taken out of their hands this week if he's injured in terms of how he uses his bench. I think he needs to simplify that. Stone I felt terrible for. Um, like I said, he hasn't come through playing at nine. He's played as a genuine middle. He's a worker. He's a toiler in that position. Just some real critical errors. He, he mishandled one, play two, off a quick play of the ball in the first half. And then the second half when it cut to crunch time, 19th minute, he gets hit by Luai, drops it in the tackle. A couple of minutes later, play three inside their 30. He throws one, you know, he drops one in the in dummy half. And the, the one with nine to go, when he threw it off the ground, I didn't see a knock on, and I also didn't think it was forward. I thought it was flat, but it was still a bad error. And it just shows, you know, in crunch that you need a real hooker. Yeah, that's and then, right. And, and that last pass, like, I thought that was a bit of a dud call. Like I said, I thought it was flat, but the last pass to, like, Paulo... In your right mind, if you've got someone there, you're getting that to a half or you're hitting out the back. Like he's just throwing him a hospital pass with a minute to go. Like it's, it wasn't the option. So, um, as much as people were blaming Stone, like he shouldn't have been in that position. If they were really managing that sub a bit better, like Smith, I know he's not as good defensively, but you would have had Smith at the back end, surely, playing out of nine. Just someone that at least has played in a key role and got that experience. Um, in terms of, you know, pass and service. And I know dummy half and halves are a little bit different, but he's, he's genuine spine player. Like, Stone should have never been in that position. Yeah. So I felt bad for him. But um, people, again, question Klein and 
two or three challenges against him were successful. He challenged the, the Dylan Brown knock-on. Penrith challenged a touch that I thought was blatantly obvious for everyone to see on play five when they got six again. Um, just some moments that I think he mishandles. And then you look at Penrith. A lot of people argue the other way that they left points on the table. I'd argue the other way that Parramatta left points on the table. I don't, I don't think it was all just Penrith in terms of inside 20. I don't know how much we pay each team credit for how well they defended as to also how they attacked. I still thought Penrith were too sideways. Um, There's a lot of times when they jump into shape where they're pushing overs. They're not dropping players back under. They're not varying things up enough. I think Brown... Yeah, well, you even look at that scrum play where Bobrovsky sort of... Yeah, just drifts sideways. All all he really needs to do there is just straighten up and run hard and he probably scores. Mm. And that's, again, some of those... Both sides are pretty pretty lateral, to be fair. Mm. Well, Luai and that shape there, that was one that left people a bit confused off the scrum. Some thought that Moses made the decision to come in. Others are saying, well, you still can't run into him. Um, did he catch on the inside shoulder? Then they're saying Moses is offside, so why isn't it a try? There's moments like that. I, I don't think anyone's ever going to be happy. I, yeah. No. The, what do you do? No. Nah, I think the rule, we've said it a million times, just needs to be black and white. We've seen some get let go. We've seen others get called. We've seen the bunker interfere, which makes a lot of people yeah, angry. You're never going to get black and white there. No. You're never ever going to get black and white. So, why do we keep searching for black and white? We're going to be disappointed. I, they, they just need people in the bunker who understand defensive decisions and, you know, movements. Like, Did you think Moses... The, the responsibility of the attacker is to run the correct line and to not intentionally disadvantage the defensive line or run into a defensive player. Like, his job is to move the defender to either tighten the space or open the space through his line. And the defender, you know, his responsibility is to make a decision without impeding the offensive player if he doesn't have the ball. So, you know, that, 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 that that's the game, in essence. Like, the, the offensive player is going to try and run into a space and the half has to make the decision about whether, you know, essentially what the defender does. Does the defender go in and close the space? Or if he doesn't, you know, you're probably going to pass it um, short. So, like, on those block plays, I think they're fairly simple um, to identify who's at fault. But we just we just seem to overanalyze. And, you know, we, we reward players for flopping. We reward players for... You know, running in correct lines. So, yeah, I think as a game, we really need to just get some really simple rules and triggers, just some criteria around, you know, what's illegal and what's legal. Because at the moment, I think there's, there's times there where, you know, defenders come in on their inside shoulder and, and close the space and make a decision, and the offensive player runs into them, and they, they reward the defence because they flop down. But in essence, if you understand the game, the defenders made the incorrect decision and gone to the wrong man, providing that the offensive, you know, the ball player, you know, he still, you know, hasn't passed the ball or no one's run around the back of that, that lead runner. But we, I think we reward um, bad defensive decisions and sometimes we reward bad line running. 
an offensive play. So, so do you think Moses initiated that contact and made a decision, or do you think Burton impeded? Um, I think he went to his outside shoulder, didn't he, Burton? Well, I think some were trying to make the call that Moses, when he's jumped off that lead, has made a defensive decision. I, I found was it, it. Was it in the first half or in the second half? First half, the scrum player, Luai, was the no try. And then the argument other people had was, well, he, they're saying he's made the incorrect, oh, he's been impeded or Luai caught on the inside shoulder or whatever, but they're also saying, well, they penalised Moses for being offside. So I'm like, well, I don't know. That, that's a hard situation for me. I thought the call was initially that they caught the ball on the inside of the lead runner. Luai, this is, which if that's the case, it doesn't matter if he's offside or not. Um, they got the penalty. They got to keep the ball instead of handing it over. Yeah. I'm just trying to find it. First half, scrum play. They yeah, we're, we're about to the first half. Luai scored, um, but it was called back. I can't quite remember. I think. Yeah, it's all good. I'll, I'll find it and then we'll, go, we'll come back to it. But yeah, some a lot of people are unhappy about that. Some are arguing, how's that not a try? He's offside. Others have argued, you know, it's been caught on the inside. That should cancel cancel it out. They cancel one another out. Oh, yeah, it was a bit of a clusterfuck, but a lot of people are unhappy with that decision. Um, the other one, obviously, the back end of the game. People are unhappy about Mitch Kenny and the trainer and the rule being that, you know, the trainer needs to be on the field. To signal the referee, the argument is he wasn't on the field. They stopped the game. I heard a few of the ex-players um, saying, you know, he's laid down, etc. Like they pretty much said after the game, it looks like he's he's going to be out or he's going to be injured. So I don't know if you, you know, call cry wolf. But on the on the flip side of it, yeah, so, but do we stop the game then? Well, does I, the game ever? Does the game ever stop there? Yeah, but we know we know why this happens. We know why. I, yeah, I, but, but hang on a minute. Boy. When, when did that ever become the, the norm? Like, what happens in a game? Well, after what happened... I, I, I think it's... I thought it was a, just a disgustingly irresponsible call. Like, if he, I don't care if he's injured. He's not in the play. You don't, you don't stop the play there. He, like, the play's gone past him. I, I, yeah, I, And Parramatta lost all momentum... I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a dinosaur, but I I looked at that and just thought, like, how the fuck do you stop the play there? Firstly, Parramatta has possession. Penrith, you know, are under defensive pressure. The Penrith player gets hurt not through any foul play. He's out of the play. Like, surely, surely the game stops at the ne- at the next natural stoppage of the game, or when the game comes within the vicinity of Mitch Kenny. And that's the argument is that you know the trainer has to be on the field to signal it, which he wasn't. So how did the referee get the signal in the first place to stop the game? Like I I thought they said you're allowed to yell at the touch judge, and they can tell the referee if that's the case. Well, then maybe they've done it that way. But the NRL is apparently looking into it. I know Arthur was disappointed and said as much that you know they've talked a lot the last few weeks and they got what they wanted. So he obviously. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like I I thought that was pretty piss weak from Arthur to say that. Like. I just think it comes down to refereeing incompetence. And how many how many times do you have to see Ashley Klein just fucking lose control of a game for him to just be flipped? Like, I, 
Has he got nude photos of someone? Like I don't know. But there was there was the other moment as well was the the Ferguson one. Like how the fuck that was a crusher. I just saw the I just saw the Burton one there. I got it up now. Mm. So, with volume, I, I didn't really hear it well, when firstly, we were... firstly, I think Luai's caught the ball behind him anyway. Well, that's what they, the call was live. And then people are going, well, he's offside. I'm like, well, you can't say two rows. Moses got penalised for being offside. Penrith kept possession let's, after let's that. Let's see, because they give you a long shot here. So people's argument was, oh, well, he was offside. I'm like, well, he's still... I don't think he was offside. Well, regardless, if even if you do, that doesn't cancel out the fact he caught it on the inside shoulder. You can't just say, well, one cancels out the other. Well, it does, if the... First offence is yeah. Oh, hang on, they are also. Oh, hang on. Jeez, like if Moses is offside, he's offside by a foot. Yeah, well, again, some people's argument was you know, offside's offside. I know that should but, be a try. I'm like, well, look, I thought uh, Burton Moses does the right thing. He addresses his inside shoulder. Clearly passes it. Moses is trying to go out, which he's entitled to do, and Burton's in the line. I think it's a clear penalty to Parramatta. Mm, and that's why I was surprised there was as much controversy around it. I, I thought his eyes were in. If anything, Moses was guilty of ball watching, and when he's tried no, to slide I off, think, I don't think what Moses did was perfect. Yeah, he did, but he was fixated on the ball when he slides out. I don't think he initiated a defensive decision on Burton like some thought. No way. I think when Burton, he turns, Burton's, Burton's like there. Once Burton can see Moses coming out there, he needs to go away, like run up the field, not run, keep running down mm. and into Moses. Well, if, if he's a step earlier, he's through the line. Yeah. But that, there was one where I just, there was a lot of talk around. I'm like, I don't know what everyone's blowing up about. Because like. Penasini had moved away when Burton entered that space. So he could have just followed Penasini and not actually made contact with Moses, and it would have been a try. Mm. But the whole argument around it so going, oh, well... Running what we would call an unders line or a down line. Yeah. But where that, he just needed to change the line to go up a little bit or even straight into the hole. Mm. And he wouldn't have he wouldn't have been able to... Moses wouldn't have been able to initiate contact before over. Do I think Moses flops? Yeah, of course Moses flops. He does, but he's still... But Moses only flops because Burton's in the wrong hole and, and has run the incorrect line. Yeah, he needed to run tight to the inside of Panasini, not to the... Well, he, did, he, he ran the correct line. He didn't change the line. No. And look, if, if Moses, if you're going to pin Moses out for being a foot offside, okay, but how many times are fucking teams a foot offside? Oh, I'm like, with they, you. They, they, I find it, it incredible that they find that one, but, you know, there's five Roosters players offside on that last play last week. But the point being... This, this is the problem, mate. The, the consistency around it, and when the bunker gets involved and... When touches get involved, he's just so inconsistent, and that's what frustrates people. Yeah, but the argument was when some are saying, well, it cancels each other out, it should be a try. It well, it no. Does. The first infringement is Moses has been offside. It's offside, sure, but he still also ran the wrong line and caught on the inside. So, in yeah. two ways there, you, you can't but just say, oh, it's try. Mate, theoretically, the, the play should never have got to there. If Moses is offside, just blow the penalty for offside straight well, away. They play advantage for what happened in case they do score, but on the replay, they've obviously found he caught on the inside. So. But then this is where you get murky, isn't it? Like you play advantage and then there's a foul. People are getting angry about so it. Does that, does that mean that that initial one goes away? Like, because you didn't hear clients say I'm playing advantage. So this, this is where, because they don't do it on every every foul, bit of foul play. So, yeah, oh, man. 
it's, it's very, very, very murky in my opinion. Mm. There was again moving on from that one. You know, that's a blind opportunity. I thought Momorovsky play one off the next one. They shift. He runs overs. He gets on the outside like Hayes Dunster turns out for Crichton. I think if he tips it on there, Crichton scores. He tries to throw an off lad at his ass. Crichton does end up grounding no, I don't. it. I think Crichton goes up the sideline. I think Momorowski should just straighten up. He scores. No, I reckon Criddle's on the outside. Crichton, if Crichton's going to do anything, he needs to come under it. I reckon he would have got there, to be honest. No, the, the, sp- the spatial awareness from wingers is horrendous. And this is why, you know, you need specialist players on those edges because as soon as Momorowski comes towards the sideline there, he's chewing up Crichton's space. Crichton has to drop back under him. Yeah, well, he's ended up grounding the offload, but he had his foot out, so they've dodged a the bullet there. Um, yeah. Naden, that opportunity, when Cleary finally got an opportunity to bomb and put up one of those wobblers, grounding that ball, like, whew, that's a huge play. Burton does well, gets it, gets the offload. You, you, you've got to finish that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, full credit where credit's due, though, Parramatta. Uh, they turned up so many times. They did try to get... At Penasini and Moses, um, he did a really, really good job. Penasini in particular, him and Ferguson, like I said, solved a lot of issues since they swapped that combination. Brown helped Wanga on the other side of the field. I, I, again, hard for me to say because I think his form has been very indifferent the last two years. But the last month or so, I thought Wanga was pretty good. Um, he did have one error the other night and obviously surfboarded on his own face. But for the most part, um, he, he was pretty good. And... Uh, yeah, I think overall this is, was a really enjoyable game. The back and forth between the two, the gluts of possession, the way they both defended. I, I don't think anyone could say that either team didn't have ample opportunity. I think they both had opportunity. Do I think a lot of people feel that Parramatta were hard done by? Um, I, I think a couple of couple of things probably could have gone their way, but at the same time, like those crunch moments at the back end. I think are just as critical as blaming those few moments. Yeah, like the I fact that's, that that's sort of what I was trying to say earlier. Yeah, the fact that Ray did Stone get, did they get dotted in a few incidents? Of course they did, but did they have enough chances to win? Yes. Well, again, like I said, Ray Stone in the last twenty being you know, and just a couple of cold drops. Like they're big moments, big moments. So yeah, he caught a lot of flack for that last one with Paulo, but like Paulo, if you're running that lead line you've got to expect the ball as well oh, I'm with you, you know, like, I don't think it was a great pass and it, it probably wasn't the right option but theoretically you're always taught if you run a line if you're going to you're going to run through the line expect the ball yeah you've got to be it's genuine. a professional sport like so we can't just drop all the shit on stone like I thought that was pretty ordinary oh, I'm not dropping it on stone there's no, no accountability no, I'm not talking about you I just there was no accountability for Paul out there I thought which was which was pretty poor in the end there post-game analysis um, like he's got to be ready for the ball he chose to fucking catch it like. yeah um, and if he catches it it's not a great play like he gets tackled and three guys get in but they're still at the ball yeah well, like I said Sorry. even high completion end to end absorbing stuff they both kicked well it was certainly a territorial game and uh, you know well, you know like Gutho's pass like I think it was 20 to go. Mate, Gus Gus had a, throws a forward pass, so. Forget that one. He had a couple of shockers. I thought he really hurt in the attack. Like, there was one there where they got Penrith to turn in and he could have just gone upfield and ran. He had Nathan yeah. sort of caught on his heels and he tried to force a rainbow pass over the top. Um, the one to Wanga when they got the drop off the kick and he threw it forward about four metres. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that was, that's a chance to win the game. There's a few moments there where you're just like, man, you, you want to be a million-dollar player, you've got to come up with better stuff than that. Yeah. So um, was it good to see Dylan Brown 
run the ball. He had some critical moments where he was getting upfield two or three wide and getting quick play of the balls. And again, I think if they have Reed Marnie or Lussig at dummy half, they probably play better off the back of it. And I think a lot of their attack did get hurt from the fact of what they had coming out of nine. And I said it the week before, you don't have to be accountable for Ray Stone at nine at all. You can work harder from your inside or drift off. I'm not saying you leave completely, but it certainly helps when you've got someone that you at least have to be somewhat accountable for at the ruck. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think anytime time have tried to turn the screws, they were also good. They got good carries out of yardage, like you said, from Dunstar. I thought he was probably as effective, if not better, than Ferguson, who didn't have his greatest night. They shifted at Murata. Murata really hammered Lua. I thought he did a real good number there. Saved him a few times when they were getting pinned. Penasini had some tough carries. Uh, overall, I honestly thought their forward pack was, as a whole, probably better. I thought Paulo and, and Campbell Gillard probably got over the top of Fish and Laota. Um, their bench, again, he got good minutes when he brought on leg speeder for Parley, who almost got over a few times, and Madison was effective as well, but just the limited sort of minutes he gave them um, was a little bit disappointing. Probably could have used his bench a little bit better, but yeah, on both sides, ample opportunity. And for Penrith, you're going now into Melbourne with a cloud still over Toto. You've got a cloud over Kikau. How's no shoulder going to hold up? What they do with Kenny if Kenny's not there and they don't have May? What he does with the bench, like for me, it's just again, it's got to be simplified. Put Martin in the back row. You pick Leno and Pangai Junior. You use them in your middle rotation, and then you've got Tago and Sorensen. Mm. Well, Kenny Bromish is going to get forty hit ups for me on the weekend and just test out that shoulder on Nathan Cleary all day. Well, I'm sure... Uh, I, I really think Penrith need to start moving Cleary around. They've got to expect that Bellamy's just going to try and isolate him and run plays into him. So, you know, I, I would be defending him on the wing. I would be then defending him at centre. I'd be defending him at half. You know, moving him to the other side of the field. They need to get agile with what they're doing defensively and not just leave him there as a sitting duck for Bellamy just to run it. Well, they're definitely going to see plenty of traffic and not just Kenny. Kenny's not obviously... Well, yeah, if... if but Olam silly enough to just keep him in the one spot and allow Melbourne to just keep fixating on him well they're going to get Olam at him and they also are very very good at flipping their middles down a channel and getting it a player they did it to him on his debut game a few years ago and I think he even said as much after when he shook hands with Jesse Bromwich and Jesse Bromwich basically said the goal was to run at you 40 something times which they did well, that's what they're going to do on the weekend. They're not going to make any secret of that. No. Nah, so Penrith need to be agile and adapt to it. Jerome, at the same time as well, did a good job on the weekend and they held up, but there's also going to be yeah. plenty of traffic um, at that that side of the field. And like with the way that they play, the way that Penrith play, does it matter what edge Cleary defends on? I don't think it does. No, I just think like that. I'd, just be, I'd be moving him around. I'd probably start him on the left and just give Melbourne a different look. You go, shit, okay, Melbourne will go out there and go, fuck, he's on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The other side of the field, okay. Mm. Well, regardless of that, you know, and, then, and then and then move him as the game goes on. Like once they sort of go, okay, we're going to hit that edge, then start dropping him around and moving him around a little bit. 
Well, I've got no doubt. I know where Melbourne are going to be playing. We said the other week before. Yeah, everything, a little third, but everything you know, starts. Luai needs to be on the left for the octave for a tap, but no, defensively, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter where he is. Everything starts centrally, so they've been challenged heavily the last couple of weeks. They're going to need to be on in their middle. There needs to be yeah. biggest game possible from Fish that he's had in a few weeks. I think Yo, like I said, has really been carrying the load. He's been outstanding, but they need more out of those starters and more out of their rotation. And Coruscant, no doubt, again, will see plenty of traffic. And the more dangerous thing this time is, we talked about Parramatta's nine situation. Melbourne doesn't have that problem. Melbourne's yeah. going to have Harry Grant and Brandon Smith probing through the he middle of the field. He could even drop Cleary back to fullback and play one too to get him out of the defensive line and just put Edwards in there at centre and just roll him back and play through. Mm. It's a multitude of ways you can get around it. But uh, also, I think, looking at the health of these sides, and I did this as we sort of finish up, Manly are basically all good 1-17 to 17 in terms of what their best side would be. South's no Latrell, but otherwise they've got their best 17. Unless you want to argue you'd play Mansour, but I think we saw in the Panthers game that you'd play Paul over Mansour in that regard. He's just too much of a kick target. Yeah, uh, like neither of those guys are winning or losing a game. Really, no, Storm have not had their best 17 all year. They've had constant changes in the spine in the forward pack. This week should be literally the first time they name 1-17. to Adokar is apparently good to go. Cheese was clear yeah. of that facial fracture, so they're going to be as good as they can possibly be. Uh, and then you've got Penrith, who are really the only ones, like I said, from having to have those two games, in particular a tough game on the weekend, who have got some questions like, if Toto is not ready to go, that's a huge blow. I've got no doubt if he's anything close, they, they'd needle him if they have to. They, they can't win without him. No, they cannot win without him. And you know, Kikiao, again, I don't think his form's been that great. I think they can cover for him. But if they've lost him, Kenny, and they don't have May, I think it's very important that they do load up that bench and he works through those middles. He can't just put it on Fish and Leoto. If he's got to use more of his changes and Coruscant has to go 80, just simplify things. Don't fuck with your edges. Don't mess with your nine. Just work through Pungai. Work through Lanu. Get Tago some minutes. Just You're going to have to play Melbourne through the middle. Yeah. So. Yeah, 100%. Oh, look, I think Penrith needs to be as close to top 17 to beat them. They're, they're not going to beat them with blokes out. Or, you know, playing blokes needle. So. The, the, history just, the history tells you that you need to... More often than not, in these in this, this end of the year, the fitter side or the healthier side wins. So Melbourne are not only more rested, but they're healthier as well. So Penrith are right up against it. They need to, you know, spend this week trying to get as many blokes healthy as they possibly can. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be a short wait for them. You'd, you'd think they'd probably only have two runs, wouldn't you? Probably yeah, win. Yeah, I'd probably train Wednesday, Wednesday, Friday. Friday. Captain's run and sort of a field. They'll do a lot of rehab, recovery, and video in the next few days more than anything. For uh, poor Parramatta, it's another prelim. Oh, sorry, another week two loss, a couple of years in a row now. Uh, not ideal, but I think the back end they surprised a lot of people. People on that little gauntlet run, that death run, you know, they were looking real wobbly. They got touched up a few times. They looked like they were just completely done. Rough win against the Cowboys, big win against the Storm, and then came into the finals, beat Newcastle, and certainly gave Penrith all they could handle. Um, and again, I know, like I said, there's a few calls that people could look to or some moments, but at the end of the day, 
Uh, I, I just look at, again, some of those critical errors and moments and think they had as much opportunity as what Penrith did. Yeah, agree, man. But finishing off from that, let's jump in and review these two teams that were eliminated. We've got the Sydney Roosters. They finished fifth in the regular season, sixth after the weekend, I think, because they were eliminated first. They were fifth defensively, fifth in attack. They used 33 players and a record of 16 and 8, which is incredible. As we know, when you look at it and say, Corden didn't play a game, Friend only played one or two, Collins and Kiri were gone, I think, round four or five, all year. Issues like Brett Morris, ACL, gone. Jared had his issues and had to battle on. Radley was in and out through injury and suspension. Billy Smith in, then gone again. Copley, who they brought over, gone. They lost Manu at crunch time. Suwali got injured. Tokiaho was in and out and never healthy. Morris missed like bulk time. It was just, you could not have had a worse situation. But the crazy thing is, and I go back to this, I remember that game and a lot of people saying they're done, they're out, they're going to miss the eight. And I said it myself and you agree with me. If anyone thinks there's eight teams better than the Roosters regardless of this, you've got fucking rocks in your head. And they proved that point. They still finished better than 10 teams in this competition and they used some guys that others would have got lapped by. Ben Thomas, I'm pretty sure, was laying bricks and I don't even know what he was doing in the off-season. I think he was playing Massey. Ben Marshkey has been through their system in the 20s but has been at the Dogs playing Cup and playing Massey the last few years, played 13 games of NRL. You've got Nafahu White and Tuka Tapua who were from the SG Ball and Fleg systems who were development guys they never even thought they would have had to use. They only got three or four games each, but they're still part of that bubble. Fletcher Baker, they wouldn't have planned on him playing as many games. I think he played 16. Saluka Fafida, nine. Suwali got five. Uh, you know, Egan Butcher, accelerated development, got 15. Kieran got 15 games. Walker, when he'd come in, obviously at the back end, they eased him off, but 21. Satili got a little bit tired at the end, but through Cordner, they've got a hell of a replacement. He got 24 games under his belt. They've essentially blooded their next generation through this hard period, and not only have they passed, they've passed with flying colours, and they've made week two of the finals. Yeah, exactly. So I heard one of the journalists ask, who are you going to buy? What are you doing? And Robinson basically said, well, we don't really need to buy. Like, We've sort of transitioned out of those guys that they're talking about in your coordinates, your friends, etc. You're going to get Kiri back. You're going to get Collins back. You've got probably Sam and Kiri as your halves to link up with Tedesco. Your nine situation is probably the one you're looking at going, well, you know, Verils needs to stay healthy, but they've brought Watson in for utility value, so I think he'll probably use more in that regard. Um, the younger Lusick brother, they loaned him out at the back end of the year, but he's still very, very young. Um you know, Sawali, like you said, coming in for those Morrises, the two Torfer Graham twins, one got put in for a HIA game at the end of the year, like they're going to be better for another off-season. There's, there's a lot that's been done here. And I think, again, in terms of losses, the only player who they're losing is Liu. All those other guys were already gone. Yeah. Um, so in terms of what they blooded, getting another full pre-season and that accelerated development... I'm excited to see where they go from here. Like, I think they may add another one or two guys, but for getting some of those guys 10, 15 games in another preseason, I think if they get Tokyo healthy, you get Jared healthy, you get Radley suspension free, you chuck Manu back on the field with Tedesco, Kiri, Walker, I think they're going to be right back up there again next year. 100%. Yeah. 
health is the issue. They still significantly overachieved, in my opinion. They were just unreal in regards to their effort, the, the level of coaching that they were they were given. Um, yeah, they, they're just a side that you, you just have to admire. They, yeah, they're easy to hate. I mean, you know, because they're successful and a lot of people, you know, don't dislike them. Um, but, you know, they're, they're a club that I used to support and they're a club that, you know, I still um, admire because they're just so professional. Um, the reason why they attract so many players is because of that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen by accident. You don't just attract players because, um, you know, money, money certainly helps, but, you know, to have a coach like Trent Robinson, to have, you know, elite players and just a good system and a proven record of success. Now, that, all those things contribute to, you know, seasons like this one. And I'd probably go as far as saying that that's Robinson's best season outside the, the premiership, the three premierships he's won there. Yeah, if you want to talk of just pure coaching and coaching yeah. guys up or getting them to go above and beyond, like, let's be honest, if you would have told... God, I'd probably, I'd probably even, you know, I wouldn't say it's a better season than 2019 when they beat Canberra, but... God, it'd have to be close. Well, look, look where they finished. He had Lamb, who he was reluctant to use. You got Hutchinson, who, again, has been there for a few years, barely played. Marshke at nine. Kieran out in the centres. Yeah, oh, oh. and then you go and compare that side to, you know, some of those teams that won, won grand finals. Like, they were almost origin in national sides, one to seven mm. And like I said, I think the best thing to come out of this is this all happened so early. Um, the, and that's when that's when you get a test as a coach. Mm, it's not late. It's not a let's finish off or you know, less is more. Mm. Like you got less talent than your opposition. That then comes down to coaching. But yeah, I think also just on top of that, like the movement, like I said, all those guys were gone early. They knew about it, but they've really shored things up. Like Baker until twenty three, Egan who was a good inclusion until twenty three, and his brother Nat till twenty four. Colin signed till 26, and I said this at the time. He wouldn't have huge money, but on the market, he probably would have got more. But I'm sure he probably just looked at it and thought, I've had to wait two or three years to get my chance here. I'm doing so well here. You know, it wouldn't be a big money deal, but it would be nicely spaced out. Um, you know, Hutchison for a couple more years would have cost nothing. Billy Smith off the injuries, two more years would have cost nothing. Tupo for two more years, same deal. Like, he's just such a reliable player. I'm sure he doesn't want to be anywhere else. Walker for a couple more years to Benua until 24. The only player next year of real note to come off, and I'm sure they'll get the deal done, is Angus Crichton. He's, yep. you know, he's going to be well sought after. There's been talk about rugby, etc. But, you know, their environment, where they are, what they're doing, the direction they're heading, um, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be there. I know at the time when he signed and the club signed, it was an in-between. They were still probably waiting on Cordner, and they've had a few more injuries and issues since. Um, but yeah, I think that one and Joey Manu are the two big ones next year. But I have no doubt they'll move heaven and earth to make sure Manu stays. I, I think Manu moving will not be a case of the Roosters not doing enough. I think it'll be simply a case of position. If he wants to play fullback, it's not going to be the Roosters. Yeah, agree. If that's the only reason he'll leave that club. Yeah. Um, but yeah. other than that, yeah, plenty of good stuff to come. You're going to have Kiri and. Walker, I'm going to be really interested to see how that works next year. If Jared, Toki are healthy again with Satili, Crichton and Radley, 
You know, they get Watson on their bench, probably with Collins back and Egan Butcher prove really impactful. It's, it's going to be a good side. And then I guess he, his back line, we know he's going to have Manu back in the centres, Tupo, Teddy. And then there's a wing and centre spot up for grabs now with the Morris's gone. So Sawali, you'd think, would be in the running for one of those positions in the outside backs. The wing spot, do one of the Torfer Graham twins push further ahead now and push into one of those spots to Zikavalu hold down one of those positions. He's not re-signed yet. He's one of the only players that are left off contract. So they're, they're pretty much all sorted for next year already. Yeah. But um, I'd be really happy. And, and we've mentioned it before. They've got some guys coming through, like the tour for Grahams. Zach Montgomery, a young back row. Thomas Deacon, a nine. Volkman, a seven. Luca Moretti, who can play middle or edge. So, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from this offseason. And a few of those younger guys probably will surprise us next year. Yeah, no, they're, they're stuck, man. Mm. But players play, I got announced for them. No surprise, Tedesco. And if anything, I think he got better the more that was asked of him. Who was that for you, Buckup? Tedesco got named for the fourth year in a row, their players' player. And I'm, oh, yeah, he was unreal. I might be surprised if he doesn't finish top five daily end. Mm. And I was going to say similar. The fact that no one was really taking points off him in all those wins at the back end, he was always their best player. Um, Manu would probably steal some points off him but I think uh, he got better the more that was asked of him which is no surprise I think Jared was one of their best players as well played busted really led from the front when they needed to there was good moments like you said from Satili and Crichton um, Radley when he's on the field he certainly needs to make sure next year his discipline's a bit better with the way the rules are going and Walker had that hot patch, obviously, once people had some video and a little bit on him and he was a bit busted up at the back end of the year. Going to have to see some growth moving into next season. But, um, yeah, a lot of positives to take if you're a Roosters fan. Yeah, massive. Parramatta, they finished sixth in the regular season, fifth at the end of the season. 32 players used. Attack, they were seventh. Defensively, they were fourth. 15-9 and nine record. Um, it was a bit of the same thing that we've seen the last few years. They started red hot. They had a couple of hiccups on the way. The Dragons game, no one saw coming. The Manly game where they got touched up. Um, and then sort of through the origin period and out of that, they were hot and cold. And then when that gauntlet came at the back end of the year where everyone said these are the teams they're going to have to beat, they got touched up a few times. And the death node started to touch. They're gone. They're going to fall out of the top four, which ended up happening. They're in big trouble. Then they grabbed that ugly win against the Cowboys. Then they had that huge upset over Melbourne and people, again, had the questions is, is it that loading period? Are Melbourne just flat? Are they teetering? Like, what's going on? Um, then last round, they put in a really good effort against Penrith with all their reserve players out. So there were some positive signs, but in the end, a scrappy win against Newcastle, I thought, you know, they, they probably should have locked that down a bit earlier. And then on the weekend, they gave a hell of an account of themselves. But at the end of the day... It's one of those ones where you look at it and go, well, they had enough opportunity. They had their moments. Their forward pack, I thought, did their job. But in key positions, they needed to get more out of their fullback in particular, I think, in attack and out of their nine. And once they lost Lussick and once they lost Reid Money, like, I'm not saying it would have guaranteed a change in the result, but I dare say if Reid Money played on the weekend, maybe Parramatta do win. Yeah, I thought they got as much juice out of the orange as what they were going to get. Put simply, they, you know, finished 
know, in that position just outside the top four. That's where they were eliminated. You know, they, they gave Penrith absolutely everything they, that they could handle on two occasions this year. They lost by, I think, one point at, at Penrith where Moses had a shot to win the game and then lost on the weekend, you know, in a two-point game in which they, you know, they didn't get the rub of the green and they also had ample opportunity to win. So, look, they're... Um, they're, they're just in a, they're in a similar position to what they've been over the last two or three years. So, would you call it successful? I, I would because I look at their roster and I think, you know, they they finished about where I predicted that they would finish when you look at their roster. So, you know, the important thing I think for Parramatta at the moment is they need to identify how to get up onto that next tier, that next shelf. Well, um, is it is it paying Gutherson a million dollars? I I don't think it is. No. Um, they, they, they really need one more big sign, one superstar. I think that, you know, you throw a top 10 player into that roster, particularly in a key position, like at the nine position or even, you know, in the one position, I, I think they can win a competition. Well, you've just hit the nail on the head to exactly what I said when we had this talk at the time. We slightly disagreed. To me, I don't think they have a roster of Penrith or a storm, but they've beaten both, or they've been competitive with both these sides, so it's proved a point that maybe they should do a little bit better, but my bigger issue right now, and this is more what we are talking about when you mentioned before, they're at a critical stage here right now. They've got Brad Arthur year eight, they've still got questions, he's got one year left to go, they've got a heap of players off contract right now, and next year they've got even more, so as of this moment right now, Ferguson's off, but I'm pretty sure they've already confirmed he's going. Michael Oldfield, Rankin, that's no issue. They'll probably be gone or if not signed for minimum. Nathaniel Roach was on a development deal. He got injured, so he doesn't have a lot of choice. Will Smith, you know, solid utility. The other names here are all development kids, and I'm sure they'll let none of them go. Sam Lozu, uh, Sean Russell, both Aussie schoolboys, I'm pretty sure, play outside backs, fullback. Sam Hughes was a young front rower. They locked up the other front rower, Hollis. So they've got a good group. But as of next season, there is a swag of players at November 1, along with their coach and question marks, which they've, they've reached a cross in the road here because guys are going to ask who's going to coach. Guys off contract are going to ask who's the coach and what direction are we heading. I don't think there should be a question mark on the coach at all. Well, I'm with you. You go through their side even 1-17 on the weekend and you say, are they better players now under Arthur than what they were when they arrived. Like, Gutherson, yes, he was a scrap player at Manly. Dunster and Penasini have both come through the system. They've both improved this year. Wanga Blake's playing better than what he was at Penrith. Yeah. Ferguson's been okay. Moses has improved. Dylan Brown's improved. Campbell Gillard's playing as good as he's ever played in first grade. So is um, Junior Paulo. Stone, you know, he's a solid NRL player. Lane and Neil Corey, again, were sort of... Neil Corey's been really good, but Lane, you know, he was sort of a bench player elsewhere. He's come to Parramatta, started, played good footy. Papa Lee. Brown has improved. You know, Will Smith, again, serviceable. Look at the acquisition of Papa Lee. Even Cartwright. Like, Cartwright's played a lot better this year than what he did at, at the Titans. Ryan Madison, he's a bit of an enigma because he... You know, like, a, was he great this year? Did he, did he play up to probably what the, the money that he's earning? Maybe, maybe not. But for the most part, there you go through, that's the 17th from the weekend. Mm. 90% of them are, pl- are playing 
better than what they were when they arrived or he's improved them to be better players. That, that's the sign of a coach. Is it on, purely on results? Like, it's purely on results and you, you, you think that you should have won a competition, then fire him and see how good that goes and get another coach in. Because in the end, it comes down to players and comes down to, you know, what you can extract from each player in regards to what their base ability is and, and what you can get above that. Mm, I think... Um, and it's also obviously paying players the right amount of money. And that's why I think this Gutherson deal is really, really important. They can't pay overs for Gutherson. I think they already they are paying. Don't give him a million dollars. They already are paying overs, I reckon, for Gutherson. They gave him... I, I agree, but then he's asking for more on top of that. Yeah, so this is what I'm getting at. Here we go in terms of November 1. So out of all those guys that we just spoke about... Ferguson's it's got November one is in it's twenty twenty three, like it's not twenty twenty two. I know that, but this is, has enough to upset. So I, no, I'd say to all those players, listen, well, I'll, I'll talk to you at, at Easter time, or you know, you know, sort of round ten. Yeah, but you know, you know how this works. Managers and that aren't going to do that, and they'll move on yeah, and they'll be gone. Managers. Yeah, well, you won't have players then. There's critical guys there. Where, where else are they going to go? Where else are they going to go? Well, this is the point. So you've got Dylan. Brown, who's got an option. So technically, he's off contract as of November 1. They've already got Canberra, the Bulldogs, all this sniffing around. They can't just fucking hang around and wait. They're yeah, going to have to make a decision. Like, for someone like him, they're going to need to make a decision. Junior Paulo uh, is off like contract. Gutherson. He's going to yeah, want a decision. Resign, provided the money's right. Guffin's going to push. He's off contract. You've got... I'd resign him again if the money's right. Brian, I think this all comes down not whether you want to resign him or not. It's whether... The money, the money that they're demanding fits into what you want to do as a squad and as, as a cap. Dunster's off contract. Oregon Kafusi is off contract. Reed Marnie, I'm pretty sure I thought he had a new deal, but the bit I'm reading here says that uh, he's off contract. I thought he signed. I'm pretty sure he has signed. Murata Kore, Isaiah Papali'i. This is not chump change. There's two guys in particular there, and Murata and Papali'i is on 150. Papali'i open market's going to get five, 600,000. No, well, no worries. But to have that decision, the one name I'm looking at out of all those guys there is Gutherson. And I'm looking at Gutherson for this reason. They've got Lozu, they've got Russell, they've got these guys that have pushed through their system that play outside backs, fullback, etc. If you have someone internally that you think can do that job, I'd say goodbye to him. But then the argument, because I'm not between the four walls and all the players, is that they say he's the one who drives it, he's the heart and soul, he's the spirit, but I'm still not paying a million dollars. So... If Clint Gutherson really loves Parramatta, you're entitled to earn whatever you're willing to earn and someone might pay good money. But I, I still can't see anyone else offering a million dollars for Clint Gutherson. But on the flip side of that, if I'm the Parramatta Eels and I don't think one of these kids in Low Zoo or Russell is going to play that role, I know I'm going to need one of them to play wing because Ferguson's going. I've got Radrara off contract who I wouldn't pay the money he's going to ask for, so I think he's going to end up elsewhere or rugby union I'd make that hard call right now to say goodbye to him as well uh, sorry not Radrara Sivo um, I've got Dunster I've got Penasini I've got Wanga Blake for a few more years so like there's going to be some crudge decisions here to be made but I'm looking at Manu that we spoke about before if I'm Parramatta and if I've got my halves locked in and I've got that money which is already about 800 for Gutherson I'm fucking throwing the kitchen sink at Joseph Manu yeah, I'd go right now, Junior Paulo. If you want seven eight hundred, they're talking about. I can't pay you. Can't do it. If I'd rather pay Papaliti, who's only twenty two years old. If yeah. I'm going to get Oregon Kafusi. What? What? How, the other thing about him, 
I don't know how old he is right now. I think he's not young. He's not old. I think he's about 28. Late, late 20s, yeah. If I can get Papa Lee for half a million six hundred and Paulo's not willing to sign for similar, I'd take Papa Lee. Because Paulo, yeah, Paulo's going to want seven, eight hundred. I'm not doing it. Because on top of that, I think Oregon showed you enough in bursts where you can get him for a lot less, and I think I can get Murata for a lot less. So if I can get those three, yeah, if I can get those three, and I've got David Hollis and Sam Hughes who are young twenty-year-old front rowers, I'm not paying seven, eight hundred for Paula. Yeah, and that's what I mean. And then you've got Sevo who's probably on half a million, who's going to want even more. I'm not doing it. So between Gutherson, Paulo, Sevo. You're potentially looking at freeing up close to two million or one point eight million dollars, and I think I can do enough with what you've got there. So I'd be trading out a couple of those guys. Um, I think the Madison situation, similar deal. He's going to want more. He's on about five six hundred now. I think his brother signed a one-year deal at the Bulldogs. I think he's going to be heavily linked there or elsewhere. I've also got concerns about his head knocks. Um, he's had a, a checkered pass with his head, so I'm, I'm probably not willing to go overs for him and again like I said if the, Brown's off contract as well Brown's option is for a decent amount of money and there's going to be clubs around him they need to decide if him and Moses are the way forward yeah. but there's a lot there and probably the bigger issue for Arthur it's not only about the club supporting or having stability for those players but he's got Mark O'Neill there who apparently they don't see eye to eye they've got a selection committee they all pull in different fucking directions like if he's the coach and you're, put, you're either putting your faith in him or you're not but you can't have dividing forces and meddling people. If you're all aligned differently or you've all got different ideas of what you want to recruit and how you want to play, like it's just not going to work. They're going to stay in this spot, if not go backwards. Yeah, I'd agree with that. No, they need to get on the same page with the football department. That's, that's a... Uh, that's huge. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's more my worry, because I'm looking here... Look, I think, uh, I think you know, healthy debate and healthy argument and healthy differences opinion is good okay as long as you're aligned on um, what the process is around decision making I, I don't like committees I think committees there's, there's too many people to make a decision I just I, I don't like it like realistically the, the, the decisions that should be made in the football department should be made between Arthur and, and Mark O'Neill that's it. And they don't see eye to eye, so that needs to be and, fixed. And what should happen is whoever's working for Mark O'Neill in regards to recruitment, retention, talent identification, all that, all that information should be passed through to Mark O'Neill. Whether whether one of those blokes comes in and sits in on those meetings, but in the end, Mark O'Neill says, look, here's our options, here's what we've identified, here's what these players are, are asking, here's the ones that fit into our cap range. Brad, which one do you prefer? And that's the thing, I think. All and then the... you're going to have, you have, you know, you're fiscally responsible because you have, you know, your, your head of rugby league, Mark O'Neill, controlling the salary cap to make sure that you're not paying overs, unders, that you're getting your financial and the economics of it correct, okay? But you're also then allowing your head coach to pick the players who you would prefer. I think that's, you know, that really, realistically, that's effective alignment in regards to a football department, how it works effectively. I, 
They, they don't. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me that Frank Panisi and Craig Bellamy don't have a similar sort of system. Well, they, they've got a completely different system compared to Parramatta because they are on the same no, no, page. They, they'd be similar to what I've just described. Yeah, they are. You know, and then and then on top of that, they'd say, "Look, he's." You know, we've spoken to his school teachers, to his former employers. This, this is what we think in regards to character. We're ruling, you know, A, B, and C out. Craig, here's three, mate, that I think would fit our culture, are in the positions that we need, and we can get them for the right amount of money to fit into our cap. You make the decision, mate. Yeah, and we know for a fact the way they work down there. They've got Paul Bunn, who's an outstanding recruitment manager. You've got... Yeah, but they're, they're, that's right. But they'd be... There would be very, very clear definition of yes. roles. The key word you used before was alignment. They have alignment on what a Melbourne Storm player looks like. Yeah. They know around what they've got. And the other thing is when they do have their meetings, we saw it this year. And they do it so well. They praised Finucane to the hill and this, that and the other, and they made him an offer. But similar to the past situation with Hoffman and other guys, they're not afraid to make a tough call. They don't insult them. They don't bring down their market value. They don't iced them out they don't do anything along that regard but they praised him they've played him they've talked about him but they made him an offer they knew what they were doing they weren't going to offer him enough yeah. money they're heading towards Brandon Smith they want Brandon Smith to be their long term lock and play that role it may not work out but if that doesn't happen they've got another plan and we've seen the succession plan in these other key positions we saw Harry Grant have to wait those couple of years and they've already made another plan behind that this year which seems really minuscule to people out there but if you look in detail the Dragons have Tyron Wishart, Rod Wishart's son. He's not some superstar Australian schoolboy who's pushed through the pathways, etc. But he's a tidy number nine. He did a bit of the NRL preseason. He played some flag and he was off contract. And I think the Dragons weren't that keen or weren't in any rush. So Melbourne picked him up mid-year. Melbourne's clearly seen something in Tyron's game that aligns with the way they play hooker. They know they might lose Brandon because they're going to lose Booth. And they had Smoothie. They got a couple of guys there. So they've reloaded. They've gone and grabbed the 19-year-old on the development deal for the next two and a half years. He's going to sit behind him and Harry, and he's going to learn his trade. And that's those sort of moves. But they're aligned on everything. Bun does a lot of the groundwork. Panisi's involved, and Bellamy focuses mostly on week-to-week, but he does have a say in those moves because he's... Again, they, they have a role, and they know what's expected of him. He's not out there carrying too much on his plate watching all this junior football, this, that, and the other, but they are certainly aligned on what a Melbourne Storm player looks like and where they're heading and my issue here is apparently Arthur and O'Neill and again I'm not even going to say apparently I know very well they don't, they don't get along and they're not aligned and that's not good but ne- next year on the field this could be affected with all these guys off let alone moving forward so it needs to be sorted out in this preseason. if you're going to have one of these fucking panels and two or three of the guys on it aren't even football related well, then you've got a problem. But if O'Neill and Arthur are just going to butt heads, this is not going to work. And just, again, allocating out of those players. So, like, all those names I just mentioned, there's one more that I've completely forgot, but I don't think he will go anywhere. Campbell Gillard's next two years, a player option, club option. So if he doesn't take his option, technically he's off contract. I don't think he will go anywhere because they paid him... I think the same money as what Penrith did and a similar deal to Paulo. I don't think he's going to get more elsewhere. He's already on about 600 plus. But out of that group that's off, you've got Cedo, Gutherson, Paulo, Papali, Kafushi. I'm pretty sure Marnie's locked up, but they've still got him here that he's not signed. Murata, Dunster, and then you've got that group coming up under in Hughes and Hollis or props, Lozu, Russell, outside backs. If you're saying to me tomorrow that Paulo's asked for 700, 
Gutherson wants a million, Sebo wants five, six hundred. I'm saying goodbye to all three of them. Yeah. But that's on account of I have to get Papali, Oregon, Murata, Dunster, and I'd be putting in a fucking offer for Joey Manu. And I know they've got third parties and they've got things. I'd be swinging the kitchen sink at Manu. I know the Warriors are there and that's probably maybe got more appeal because he's a Kiwi boy and he could be the face of the club. But if I'm Parramatta, those three guys almost taking $2 million in my salary cap or wanting more, I think I can still move on with Papali'i, Oregon, Murata, etc. Like I said, hopefully, if I don't know much about Hughes and Hollis, development's been hurt this year, which is critical with Cup and that. But if I think I can get enough out of those guys coming through on the Aussie schoolboys and Lozer and Russell, I move forward with those guys in my back line, Penasini, Dunster, Waka, the Harves, Marnie, and the other key issue, nine. They got Marnie locked up, but he's just had a shoulder injury, major surgery. You've lost Lussick. Stone's not a nine. Roach was brought over on a development deal off the back of a heap of injuries, and surprise, surprise, he got injured again. They need to go out in this market, which there's basically nothing left, and they need to find an option. Um, yeah. Their cup depth was Roach. Like I said, he got injured. I don't know about their their ball and flag. They were coming eighth, and they missed the finals in, in SG, so I don't really know if they've got a whole lot coming through in that regard. Like it's You can't not have an option, in, to be honest. Like you said, having two is probably not enough. You need to have a third guy that if you get really desperate, you at least know he can provide service, minimum, and defend. But I don't know how much is on the market. Like I'm getting it up right now. One that comes to mind, and again, you might laugh, or some people out there might laugh, but you don't have a whole lot of choice. I, I think the Titans were wrong to let Mitch Rain go. I think he's a guy you can pay absolutely nothing and you're better off having him even if he's your third option than not having him. Yeah. Because your other options right now... I just think... I just think Holbrook feels as though he can obviously find someone for the same amount of money that can do just as good a job. Well, you got Billy Britton, who didn't play at all at the Dragons, Saliva Harvili, Sione Katoa from the Dogs, Denny Levi, Kyle Patterson, who's never played first graders at the Sharks, and Mitch Rain. That's the hookers that are off the market. Yeah, I think also he might look over at the Super League. Mm, well, again, I don't know who's off contract, but I'm just more making the point that it's a position that even yeah, if... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not arguing. No. I just think... I don't disagree with you that Mitch Rain's got a bit to offer. I just think that Holbrook's probably just... He's said enough. Oh, I get that. But like I said to you, they signed Clark for a couple of years. I know he's younger, but I just... He's not... I'm not yeah. looking I'm not looking at him as my second yeah, option. Holbrook's obviously looking at it going, well... I feel as I can get something from him. I, I, I trust him. He's there. Oh, I'm not knocking that in that. I mean, I'm talking just in general. I, I think people undervalue having someone that if you have to go to them, they might only play for you a couple of times, but a game like the weekend, Marnie, Roach, like even Smith played that little bit, but they needed someone they could have relied on. And I know Lussick and Marnie were hurt, but their third option, which you don't expect to get down to, ended up having a huge impact on the game. Yeah. If Mitch Rain is on the market 30 years old whatever he is and he's there for minimum wage I don't care if he's my third hooker I think that's a pretty good third hooking option yeah but they're going to need to address that too because Marnie's going to be coming off shoulder surgery Lussick's now gone Roach is not reliable health wise at the moment they've got one hooker and he's going to be coming off shoulder reconstruction so for para fans I don't want to be all doom and gloom but I'll be very interested to see what works out here because if they get into 
contract situation and, and guys like Papali'i and Murata are going to get offered good deals. If there's instability or a smell at all around this club, they will lose these guys and they'll be in an even bigger hole. Yeah, so this is a real, real dangerous year ahead because if they overpay for Guths and Paulo or make the wrong decisions or, you know, like I said, don't show a United front, they'll lose a couple of these guys and then I don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, um, yeah really interesting really interested in Parramatta's off-season and their lead-in, but uh, overall, I'm with you. I think they squeezed as much as they could out of, out of the out of the orange, and Marnie had a good year. Um, you know, Papa Lee, what a buy, Murata, Gutherson was pretty good again, Paulo. At times, Penasini, a hell of a fine, Campbell Gillard when he was healthy. They still need more out of Moses and Brown, and, you know, like, Wunger's late form needs to continue. Lane was on the bench, and then late got some time. Madison, if healthy, needs to be better. Um, but yeah, interested to see more the off-field stuff and that there's too much of that noise and what they do there. But next year, I think they'll be similar again. That they should be in the eight. And they should yeah. be around that tier. Can they take a step forward with their spine, with Marnie back in the halves? I, I don't know. I, I, I made the harsh call in the middle of the year, similar to you, that I still think at one and nine they need more. But they've locked in six, seven, nine. So my real target right now is one. If Gutherson wants that money, I'm fucking going all in for Joey Mano. It would make a hell of a lot more sense than tipping all in on Gutherson. Because you, you've seen, Gutho is, you know, he, he's a serviceable player. He's, you know, he's a, he's a top 50 NRL player. But he's not, he's not in that top 10. You, you need top 10. He's a borderline rep player. Really, isn't he? So... Yeah. Well, if Joey Martin, you, you know, he's an out and out superstar. Yeah. And if Joey Martin's in that side of the weekend, Paramount will probably win. Yeah, well, you're not relying again, like we said, as much. That, that's what you need, really need to ask yourself, you know. Have we seen Gutherson in semi finals? Yeah, you've seen Gutherson Brown Moses over, you know, a, a, a pretty large sample size now. You should have a pretty good idea on who, you, who the players are that are making. A significant impact, whoever they are, that, that's who you need to be paying top dollar. Well, again, who's really? You need, you need to really work out. Well, okay, can we can we access someone that is better than what we've got in that position? Mm. And if that's the case, then you know you need to do the right thing by the club and go and get them. Well, like you person. said previously, in the end, it's about winning and losing. Just because you're the best player at a club doesn't mean you deserve a million dollars. That's right. Like, what are you actually worth? And again, I, this is probably the best way to look at Parramatta. Who in Parramatta is a genuine superstar who can pull a game-breaking moment? I, I don't really think they have one. They're, they're more relying on the collective, which is their forward pack. Yeah, look, I, I, look, I think I think Moses is... He's in the upper tier of halves in the comp. I don't think he's a game-breaker. Yeah, maybe not a, maybe not a game-breaker, but he's... He certainly gives you a good foundation. Like, let's look at Mel. Let's look at the Rabbitohs. They've got Latrell, Cody Walker. Like, they've got I'm multiple. Yeah, I get that. But I'm just saying, in general, in a team, though, when you make up a team, I think Parramatta's highly reliable on the collective to win a game as compared to some yeah, of the others. No, I, I agree with that. So, Which means that if you Gutherson. really be paying any one player a stack. Exactly. So, if Gutherson wants a million dollars, can you justify it on what he delivers? No. So, no. So, no. that's. They, they really need to introduce that player that we talked about. And Manu has proven that he can produce... I've got no issue with Gutherson. says, look, I'm going elsewhere. I'm going to go take him. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Right. Good luck to you. Yeah. 
that that's cool. We wish you all the best, mate. And go and go and get that money. That's you're entitled. Oh, 100%. Someone's going to pay that money. You're entitled to go and go and take it. But as a club, like I said, you need to be fiscally and economically responsible. Mm. And if they've offered around the same money again, seven fifty eight hundred, I, I still think that's overs. But I wouldn't be going any further. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'd be comfortable paying him seven, but not a dollar more than that. No, and I think again that to me is even a stretch for what you get. Mm. It'll also depend on, you know, what what the rest of your cap looks like. You know, and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. These other guys, these other guys are going to have a huge effect if well, we they pay. Know, we're not privy to that information. You can have a pretty good idea, but mm. you don't you don't really know and see within the four walls and you're looking at the books. Yeah, but that wraps us up on that side of things. Before we go. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot else to talk about but I think one thing we should talk about let's not jump into the extent that we have in the past but the Tiger situation um, people were saying that Madge was going to be safe but as of yesterday the talk is now that he's going to be gone it's going to be voted on this week and they will be looking for a new coach so thoughts on that they've obviously been linked to Seraldo. the talk was they might well, stay yeah, I, I, we spoke off here I've been told Seraldo's got the job. It'll be announced the day after Penrith get eliminated or win the comp. That's what I've been told. That, that could be a million miles wrong. Um, I don't speak to Kevin Seraldo. I, um, you know, we coached together for two years, but you know, we're now doing different things. I'm at a different club. He's obviously still at Penrith, um, and I don't, I don't talk to it, talk to um, Seraldo. So it's not from the horse's mouth. It's just, um, you know things go around the game and that's one that um, I've certainly heard uh, very very strongly over the weekend so whether it's right or wrong or not, I've got no idea but that's certainly the, the chat that is going on in rugby rugby league circles at the moment the leaks that are coming out through journos probably indicate that that's where it's heading um, which is yeah interesting it's it's I, I really don't know what to make of it. I, it's not the first job I'd be taking. Yeah, look, from from Ciro's um, perspective, I, like if you want to catch first grade, um, all power to him, mate. Like jump in and, and do it. Congratulations that you're going to land a first grade job. Like it's his his dream. Um, so you know, I'd be I'd be psyched for him. Um, but I, yeah, I just more look at it like, is it somewhere that you really want to, that you're going to feel comfortable jumping into? Like, you'd want to have a lot of assurances. You'd want to have a fairly long contract. But more importantly, and, you know, I was thinking about it over the weekend, just in terms of, you know, if I was in a similar situation, like, you'd, you'd really want a lot of your own people that you trust and you know are competent to be coming with you well you've, you've like, just... I'd really really want one absolute solid confident to be my assistant coach like someone who they don't have one I completely trust no I'm talking from Serato's perspective like, oh I'm with you but I'm, I'm making uh, someone to go with him um, you know what this reminds me of and then outside of that like in terms of performance stuff like you've, you've got to have alignment in that regard as well like it's yeah and this then you look at the pathways is he having conversations with you know football managers the board like there's a lot of stuff to work through there at the Tigers because it's obviously two you know joint venture clubs yeah it's it's 
it's a very volatile oh. volatile club. I, look, do I think he can go in there and do a good job? Absolutely. But you know, I think Madge has gone in there and done a good job. I, I don't think I don't think it's coaching competence that we're talking about here. It's it's the fact that there's a lack of accountability in other key areas which are underperforming and more often than not the easiest person to move is the coach this is the point you obviously can't flip the playing roster you can't the people on the board aren't going to put their hand up and go yeah no we we fucked up here we're going which you know to a degree they probably should Um, you know Pasco how much influence has Pasco had over some of the decisions that have been made Um, Hardigan hasn't been there for that long at all Um, you know how much responsibility does he you know, take. Uh, I guess they've all got to take an ele- element of accountability, and I know that they all would happily put their hand up and say, you know, this is these are you know some of the things that we've got wrong. But in the end, I think it boils down to if you look at their roster. Like again, you have to be honest with yourself. Like, is that roster has that roster underachieved? Have they overachieved, or have they probably you know achieved about where they probably indicate that they should? Most people didn't predict the Tigers to make the top eight. Most people predicted the Tigers to finish up where they are. So do you have unrealistic expectations as a club? Well, I think they've, they've gone... Noir is the one that's bearing the, you know, the, I guess the consequences of unrealistic expectations. Well, the only other argument, which I get, and I've sort of said it when people defend, oh, it's not his roster, it's not his roster. He's flipped it over heavily, but I think... People are saying, oh, it should just a coach should be enough to bring you to a club." That's not the case. The club has been a fucking shambles for so long that yeah, they've missed out on some players, or they've had to pay overs to get other people's junk. But I don't think that's just a reflection of Madge. I think it's a reflection of the Tigers in general, because no one yeah, is no, willing. That's right. Because if you go through the history since Shanks, no one's willing to know, dip their toes in. Mick, it was Mick Potter. It was Jason Taylor. It was Ivan. And now, match. They're all bloody coaches. You know, like they're guys that have been around the game. They've got they're guys that have all had multiple jobs at different clubs, whether as assistant or head coaching roles. Like, if you're fucking incompetent, you can't do your job. Like, you don't you don't keep picking up coaching gigs. Like, eventually, the stench on you bears through, and you just don't get. Resigned, you know, but all of those guys have either lost their job and easily picked up a job somewhere else, or and at, and at more successful clubs. Um, you know, like Match is on a complex. It's not like, it's not like Match doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, you know, the other thing when people go, oh, you know, you're too hard and he's this and that. Well, fucking, that's more a reflection on your playing group. Well, the, the one question that I think is that is going to be the telling factor here is have the have the playing group quit on match. I think they have, but I think. And, well, okay, and if, if they have, it doesn't matter what you think of match. You have to. Yeah, but who says they don't do it again? And again, if you've just brought up Serrano. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Look, I, yeah. There's no argument from me there, right? But if if they've lost, lost confidence in him and they've quit on him, it's it's unsustainable for both match and the playing group because if he goes around again next year and the results are worse it actually hurts him well, you, his chances of getting another job you've said it before so in, in essence I think they're going to do him a favour if the playing group's quit on him 
or they're not listening or they're not responding or whatever it is, fucking get out, mate, because well, you'll get another job. You've said it before and I think you've just said it again. I think if anything, firing him, they're doing him a favour because I think the place is a fucking shamble. And my thing with the Serraldo thing, for a first job and a guy that was linked to, you know, the Sharks as an assistant or the original head job there and other jobs, like, there's going to be a better job available. So I'm sitting here, if I'm him, going, I'm the name that's in everyone's mouth, we're in the finals, I don't think it's going to matter what happens next year at Penrith, and I think they'll be in the eight again anyway, but I'm not taking that job. And on principle, look where we're already at. Even if they get eliminated this week, for a club that missed the eight, they're back into pre-season in about four weeks' time. October to November is basically the start of pre-season. They've got next to no room to move for next year. It's another one of these situations where I'm sure he's going to look at that roster and compare to what he's been used to at the 20s, Cup system, NRL system at Penrith, where he's going to want to flip it over. You've got Sheens. You've got new performance pathways. Who's to say that he doesn't want to have a say in the direction that heads? They might completely flip that again. And then coaching staff-wise, you'd put the broom through the whole fucking joint. He's not going to keep Collins and bloody uh, Millard and anyone that Madge Maguire's got on the board, but you've got a month to go. No, no You're not going to be able to get anyone no, over. That was my point initially when we were talking about Serraldo. Like, yeah, but this is my point like you're making. He's got... absolutely solid, competent, gun assistant coach you can just trust one million yeah. percent. and he's not going to have that, and he's not going to be able to get that. So I'm looking at this just saying, I could not think of a worse way to walk into my first job. I could not yeah. think of a worse situation. And again, if I'm signing a deal... It's no less than three years, and it's fully fucking guaranteed. Yeah, I'll probably get four. And I that wouldn't one. go to the West Tigers without getting four. And again, fully guaranteed. Because it's not going to be a quick yeah, fix. Or three, or three in an option in my favour, I'd take. Yeah, I don't think they'd give it, but that's my point. They're not in a position to really argue. That's okay. That's okay. If you don't want to give it, that's okay. I won't come. Find another coach. Cause, because in the end, your West Tigers are in the position where they need the coach. So they they need to they need to give a little if they're going to get they're going to get a little yeah because I'm guaranteeing you this system's going to start again he's going to go there and look at some of those guys like a Musgrove or this that and the other who've got another year or two to go and go well I don't want him it's not going to be an overnight job and this is the thing we talked about with starting again they really need to figure out what they're doing because if they're going to go in on a coach again like they did with Madge and he's got to a point where again the club has had a smell around it he's not been able to get some guys on board and he's flips them over and he's going young they're about to fire him at a point where they've probably flipped just no, with no, the I'll be completely honest with you I think the smartest thing the West Tigers could do is sign Serato for 2023 and if, if, if he's the coach that they want and for the reasons that you just outlined and the fact that he's going to be working for you know at least until midway through next week they're going to start two or three weeks after that the turnaround's tight I'd go and sign an absolute silent deal with him and just say, listen, come, you're not allowed to tell anyone, let him be an assistant coach at Penrith for another year, let him absolutely get his fangs into everything across the West Tigers so he can jump in the year after completely, um, you know, completely across what's going on within the organisation. But, you know, we, we know that that's not sustainable because... It's it not going to happen. It'll leak. It'll leak. That, that's how... That, that's, that's the most effective way yeah. to implement a new coach. And it'd be the Sharks. Completely across all of it. Uh, but as soon as Madge got away for that, he'd be the fuck, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, you know? it'd, be, like, it'd be the Sharks all over again. I don't know what I'll do this year because, you know, I'm going to get moved on. Um, but 
But again, like, what's financially responsible? That doesn't match having another two years. Yeah, well, that's the thing about laughing at the club. Are they going to pay him out? What's he on? He's probably on 500. Well, that they already flaunted this, which I laughed about. They're like, oh, but we have it in our favour that we only have to pay him a year. It's like, you're still fucking re-signing for two more years. Yeah. Like, you're still giving money away. And again, they're taught, that's their one big thing on Tiger Town was, oh, we're in the best financial position we've ever been and we've got the centre of excellence this, that, and the other. It's like, it's all well and good, but you've got no fucking heart or soul. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Like, like we, we had years there at junior reps where we couldn't even get our fucking, the, the fields marked. Forget the fields. Because they didn't have the money. They can't even keep their couldn't own. Even get, couldn't even get gear. Like, they can't keep their own kids. It's, yeah, like, like, I, I hope. The 500 that you're going to pay out in age, you should be going and paying, you know, your best Harold Matthews and SG Ball kids all 10 grand. Pick I, pick, I really pick hope. Your best 50 and give them all 10 grand. That's what they should be doing. I really hope what they've done brings some stability because we saw it in our time with two or three different football managers and this pathways, etc. It's changed every year. But right now, they've put in Kamali, the other yeah, guy. What I'm saying is, as a, as a club, from a playing perspective, like, take another year of leagues because your roster is your roster. It doesn't matter who's coaching that roster. That roster is that roster next year. Yeah. Instead of wasting 500000 to pay Magia, go and spend the 500000 on your juniors. And my, my, my main point is what you're saying as well. Like, I don't know if you can get him to sign a NDA yeah, or whatever. Fucking sign 10 from somewhere else. Go and fucking pick the eyes out of Penrith or go and pick the eyes out of Parramatta or go and pick the eyes out of Manly, the guys that are pillaging at junior reps. Yeah, they go should and, be. Go and start playing the game. Like, they've, they've got to put their big boy pants on here and start playing some shots instead <laughs> of constantly trying to duck other people's shots, which is... You know what they've been doing forever. How often do we get told, "Oh no, we can't afford. We're not, we can't keep him. He's one of your juniors. We've identified him as one of our best players. We're already back up against the wall to even compete with the players we've yeah, got. Sorry, boys, we can't keep him. This is the this is, or he can go to Manly, or he can go to Parramatta. Yeah, but this is the point we're, we're making. First coming through. But you'll pay six hundred thousand to get Joey Lailua off the scrap heap. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're fucking, you're kidding yourself. Like, but plain and simple, I'd more go the route. That you. comes back to coaching instability because Madge knows he's under pressure, so he then goes and makes that decision because he knows, well, fuck, if I if I can't get a player in, I know Joey might not work. But yeah, right. If even if I get him or I don't get him, if we don't win, I'm fucking gone. Yeah, but this so also instability starts at the top, and that's why if I'm Serrano or any potential coach going there. Or match, like it's got to be. Uh, you need to stick by me here. Well, this is Kidwell. So make long-term decisions. This is Kidwell a few years ago. Was it the Warriors job or another job he got offered? And they gave him like a couple of weeks to make a call, and he said no. And he, he's never got it. He didn't get a job since, but I'm pretty sure it was Kidwell who got offered maybe the Warriors or something, and he said no. And it was like I've got two, three weeks before preseason coaches yeah. recruitment program, like. Unless he's doing stuff already now, but I'm just looking at it more just from what you said. As far as the staff's concerned, I don't want to go 12 months with all that staff and have to make those changes. They've got Sheens, they've got Performance Pathways guys in. Those things are good, but in terms of me going there right now with my assistance, my high performance and everything else, I'd more want to do what happened with Crowler and Fitzgibbon. I'm not saying they neck him early, which that's... The, the and you, know, you know the thing with Serato as well? Like having worked with him... He, he'll want to coach. He'll want to be hands-on, which is great. I, I'd even say to him, "Fuck it, just have one assistant coach, man. You go in and look after one side. Have one assistant coach. Less is more." Um, if you got Sheens there as well, let, let Sheens do some some of the fundamental stuff, some of your core school stuff. 
Look, you know she's, she's going to be there whether you like it or not. So if you're going to do that job, you might as well utilise him in, into what he's strong at and, you know, what he feels as though he can contribute to the team. Yeah. Well, so particularly until you can assemble a staff that you want and that you trust and you, you know he's going to do the right things. I, I, don't, I don't see the point in just going and getting the fucking people to fill in spots and, you know, having 20 staff when you're coaching staff. When you, don't, you don't really need it. No, nah, like I said, I they've made some moves, but if they brought him in now, I just I just think it's a bad idea. And again, if he does if he does take it, what doesn't Madge have? Madge has three assistant coaches at the moment. I think he's got three. Yeah, it's way too many. So, and the other thing as well, like I said, I, I just think staff wise, and a year in, he's not going to be able to do anything this year. And even though now, like, this is the other thing as well. Like, the other day, they're going, oh, we've got 1.6 million left. Who are the first names you hear linked to them? Adam Elliott, who just got fired. Curtis Scott, who's just been moved on to get, like, stop doing it. Stop it. Yeah. Stop doing it. If anything, if I'm the Tigers, yeah, like... If March goes around again, he, he knows next year he has to win. He has to make the eight I get that. Job. But you know what? So I'd, he make decisions based around that. I'd be... I'd be doing similar to what you said there. I, honestly, I'd be telling Seraldo that I'm keen... But I wouldn't be doing it this year. If I have to sign an NDA or I have to do something to put it in place or a terms of agreement and then announce it halfway through the year that we're moving on, etc., I wouldn't tell Madge a thing. Unfortunately, as ruthless as he sounds from a business perspective, I'd be looking at my squad with that $1.6 million. You're allowed to pay forward contracts. I'd be paying forward into a few guys that have big deals the year after to get me some relief. And then I'd be looking internally at anyone that's half-decent I'd upgrade them to my top 30. I'm not going to go out and sign a three or four year deal for guys on fucking stupid money that I can't move on and I'm trying to leave it in a position that's free as possible for the year after to start fresh again. Yeah. I like That would be the smart play but I don't think they'll do it. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to have to cop it next year. You probably will get fucking towed up but I'm just sitting there going, look, the only way to get out of this is to do something similar. And then we let him in the background sound out some people or work on some staff and we just build this forward. But, yeah, I can't say it. No, I just saw some um, tweets about Anthony Milford. What about Anthony Milford? Been charged with three counts of actual bodily harm, got arrested on the weekend after an altercation with his wife. Not good, so... He appears in court on October 20. Wow. So that's the that's the deal. Looks like it might go down the drain if those accusations, and obviously they're accusations at this stage, but uh, have been proven true. That's bloody sad, really. Yeah, well, sad to think because the way he finished the year, once the pressure yeah, seemed to go off. Saturday night, it says here, after an, an argument. So, yeah, not good. Yeah, well, again, I guess we'll have to wait and see what comes out. Everything's, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but... Yeah, um, right. I, I just mean it's just not good overall. Nah, and in terms of what we said for South, you saw the last few games when the pressure was off, we saw the best of Anthony Milford, and he's going to be heading somewhere where he's on less money and no expectations, really, because they're picking up for a flyer. Um, yeah. That would have been the best possible scenario, but, you know, could could be over before it's even begun. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, I guess we should wrap it up, shouldn't we? Well, that's two, it's two hours, so definitely. Good. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday night, and we will preview yep. 
those two finals games and if there's any other news to talk about we will and uh, otherwise this show has been brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre tackle your rising power bills today with the help of Solar Energy the team at PSC are passionate about helping you sin bin electricity bills for good find out how they can make you and your family the real big winners today with quality solutions visit www.penrithsolar.com.au Call 1800 20 29 30 and to bluebet.com.au. Download the app today, visit the website. There's no one better to bet with than a true blue Aussie bookie. Unfortunately, zero wins again for the charity account. We backed the two big back rows and no dice. Kick out barely. We're throwing some punches. He barely, barely played. He got 20 minutes before he busted himself. And uh, Olak R2. Cherry Evans, please fucking play short. Like every once in a while, it's it's okay to hit your back row. He's a hundred. Yeah, you know when he got close, when fucking Cherry Evans went off and Schuster was off. Because Schuster actually plays short. Cherry Evans just loves throwing that fucking loopy pass to Morgan Harper. I'm like, mate, you got the biggest human being in the world. How much is the charity account out at the moment? Uh, I think seven hundred. That's right. Seven hundred's good. We want to hit a thousand though. We only got two weeks to go. Yeah, we'll get there. Ches, brother. For me, Ches, play short, mate. Feel free to use that giant human being when he's one-on-one. Nothing for the Panthers. Like, fuck me. Blue better doing us a solid, giving us 100 bucks as well, so... Yeah. We'll, we'll hit one, mate. We'll hit one. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But for everyone out there now, we'll see you Wednesday night and we'll run through these two games and have a nice in-depth preview plus talk about any news that's going on in the NRL. But for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.